I am a cinematographer Oh, I am a cinematographer Oh, I am a cinematographer What it do, as my homie Sammy Baco says Every time I call him Did you see his part today, that my war? Anyway, this is Schmitty with episode 80 of my side project, a little podcast I do called Talkin' Schmidt. Today on the show is my good mate and filmer fantastique, Mr. Mike Manzuri. Mike was born and raised across the pond in England and followed his passion to California, where he was sponsored by PAL, ATM, Adrenaline, and more. Meanwhile, taking his craft of cinematographer to the next level. Mike's filmed with the best of the best in skateboarding and has filmed BMX Insanity as well. He's done videos for Dinosaur Jr. and the Pixies. His portfolio is prestigious and his personality is radiant. I love Mike and had a great time talking to him and even got to learn a few new things I didn't know, such as dinner at George Harrison's with Tony Hawk and Tom Petty. At one end, Tom Petty and George Harrison are talking to the other end as Tony Hawk, Lance Mountain, and I'm in the middle, just this little kid, like kind of watching this (laughs) tennis match of like, you know, superstars in their own realm just doing their thing. And they were asking what it's like to be a pro skater and travel and you know they're sharing stories about what it's like to be a rock star and you know the fans and there's a picture of me with the manor behind it and i just look I, the smile couldn't be bigger on my face like it's just like ripping my face wide open my smile and so couldn't believe i was there we're pretty excited about reaching episode 80 and for this episode we have a special contest for all you listeners out there Whoever emails the first correct answer to TalkinSchmidt at gmail.com will win $80 of TalkinSchmidt merchandise and a bottle of Andy Roy's new signature Don Wapo hot sauce. Okay, so here's the challenge. In the opening of each week's show, there is a montage of my friends talking to me while the song by Nature plays in the background. Name each person in this week's montage and you will win the $80 of Talkin' Schmidt merch. You have to name each person in the correct order with the exception of the last person who says... Let's hear it for Greg Smith. Then email me your list of names, and the first person who correctly lists all the people in the correct order will win. I may even throw in a couple extra surprise goodies. That's talkingschmidt at gmail.com, and here's the intro. Hi, this is Mike Manzuri, and you're listening to Talking Schmidt. It's cool, like tonight is the night. Here we go again. Just give it the old cars turn, isn't it? All big dogs in. Schmitty! 96 times, Schmitty. Thanks, Schmitty. We on? Schmitty? Talking Schmidt. That's called going to the hospital, bitch. I'd be shit in my pants. Glad. Your Rolodex is fucking deep. It's about the one. The one. 
the one. Who is this guy who thinks he's tough shit? What's up? We're tastemakers. Come on, Smitty, what the fuck? Let's hear it for Greg Smith. Yeah! All right, the honor is mine and the pleasure is yours. Folks, we got Mike Manzuri on the show this week. How you doing, Mike? I'm doing very well, thanks. Nice to be here. Thanks for having me. Good to see you. Like, it's been a minute, right? A little bit, yeah. Yeah, it's been a minute. We chat on the phone every once in a while, doing some footy swaps. (laughs) Yeah. How's how's things going? You've been um, keeping it pretty locked in, or are you getting out still? Um, I've started to get out a little bit lately, because I kind of needed to get some work going, and there was actually some work going, because it was dead for a while. but yeah, I was I was, took the whole lockdown thing pretty seriously. Like, uh, I don't know, uh, even back in I think like February, I was I did a trip through New York and I was wearing masks and stuff like that. Like I was just I don't know, I just didn't didn't want to take any chances. So, and actually, I got really sick in the beginning of March for a couple of weeks, like really heavy, like you know all all kinds of symptoms. So I was kind of worried at the time if that was something to do with it. So that shook me up a little bit and just made me take it very seriously. Um, I actually had a test a couple of weeks back for you know to see if you've had it you know the blood test to see if oh, you've right. had it in the past and turns out I didn't have it so I just had a regular old bad case of some sort of flu you know yeah I got tested for it uh, with the swab up the nose oh it, yeah it, that's it was... rough I'm not, I know that's gonna happen at some point I'm not looking forward to it because that looks dude you're just sit there the, it's 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 more uncomfortable than painful. It's like the lady's like, this is going to be a bit uncomfortable. And you're like, oh, okay. And you sit there and she sticks it in and then it goes further up and you're like, whoa. Yeah, I've seen the footage. And it, you know, like when you see those, um, you know, those circus guys who used to bang, tap nails into their face or whatever. You know, you ever seen that when they, they yeah. like tap, tap a nail in, they find the whatever. And it's like, how does it go that deep? You just think it's burrowing into your brain, that thing. I thought uh, it was going to be like when you're a kid, you try to put the spaghetti through your nose and stick it out your mouth and do the fucking connector. I was like, what if the swab just came into your mouth? <laughs> you just see it coming out of your ear or somewhere else. You know? like, Dude, it was definitely higher than any booger I've ever had. That's for sure. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, But apparently, I mean, what I'm hearing is those tests aren't 100% accurate, but it said negative. So I've been yeah, feeling that's good, thing. though. That's the thing. I, my, everyone said, well, the tests aren't accurate. And I'm like, well, uh, part of me is like, well, at least I'll be a statistic so they'll find out if they're accurate. I don't know. Like, it, it's just the more information they have, the better. Because at this point, there's so much, like, confusion of what the hell's up or down, you know? Like, yeah. 100%. And it seems like they just need the stats to sort of figure shit out. So, yeah. Yeah. Eh. Well, um, let's start from, like, the uh, beginning. Let's go all the way back. You were, you were born in the England? No, I actually was born in Tehran, Iran. Oh, you were? Okay. Yeah, yeah I lived there for a few years. Um, my mum's Danish, and she met my dad in, in England, actually. They happened to be in Iran for a few years, and I was born. And then they moved back to London, uh, which is where they met. They, um, they moved back to London in uh, early 70s, like right before the Iranian Revolution actually kicked in. They just happened to leave. They were just like, yeah, let's go back to London. And... Then things really changed back in Iran, so I'm kind of glad I didn't like, get stuck back there when things got weird. And uh, yeah, um, grew up in London. Yeah, it's 
lived there until I was about 18 and then I uh, started coming out to the States. What drew you to the skateboard? Do you remember like the first time you kind of like were drawn to getting a board and figuring it out? Um, yeah, I mean, I was kind of the era where Back to the Future hit us pretty hard, you know, that was like a really impactful thing. I was, uh, I was born in 74, that was like early 80s. When did that come out? Like 85 or something like that? 84? Yeah, mid 80s, yeah, late. I, I, yeah, I was like 9 or 10 or something like that, you know, and so when I when I saw it, it, it was a big deal for all of us, you know, we just got over ET, I was a BMX kid from watching ET, and then I'll see Back to the Future, and there's skating in that, and at the time, the BMX magazines I looked at also had skating in it, started to creep in, you see them like in, you know, vert ramp jams and stuff like that, and that fascinated me, because you're looking at skateboarding, I just didn't even understand what they were doing. There's a guy doing an invert on a half pipe and I just couldn't comprehend how he even got there, let alone where he was going afterwards, you know? So it was a fascination to me and I remember one key, key moment. We were on a little holiday in this beach town of Brighton, it's in southern England, and we're cruising along the beachfront in the car and I look out the car window, I'm just a little kid and we're sort of parallel with this guy on a skateboard and he crossed the street and it, back then, he had a lapper on it, you know, old yeah. school people know what a lapper is, but you have to explain <laughs> to some kids. A lapper is a piece of plastic <laughs> that you would bolt onto your tr rear truck, and it basically gave, uh, it just basically meant so that you could ram into a curb and you'd ride straight Go up right it, you up know? It. Yeah. Yeah, you, you didn't actually have to ollie. And, I mean, it probably would have been more impressive if I'd seen an ollie, but the fact that he just cruised across the sidewalk and just like wheelied, like manualed into the curb and just like plowed through it, that just blew me away. I was like, this guy just keeps, and he kind of overtook us in traffic and kept going faster than we were in the car. And from that moment, I was like, that looks like the coolest thing to do. And it was, that was probably before Back to the Future, actually, because I feel like I was really young when I saw that, but it really mm. made a lasting impression. So I ran home, my brothers had skateboards, you know, like little plastic ones from the 70s, because they were older than me. And um, yeah, we, I just tried and get, get into that and got me hooked right away. Do you remember what your first legitimate board was? Yeah, I mean, okay, so my first, well, it started in pieces. I could only afford trucks and wheels, and my dad actually cut out a skateboard from plywood. It was pretty epic. It looked more like modern boards now than the 80s boards at the time, because it was complete sausage, like symmetrical, you know, <laughs> sausage. And for a kicktail, he just like stacked up some plywood and sort of like, you know, sanded it into a wedge. So the bottom was flat and the back kicked up. It was just a wedge stuck, on, like almost like a tail saver, but on the top. And uh, so I had that with some um, Veriflex wheels and I can't remember, what, some pretty generic trucks. And then I saved up some paper route money and I bought a Brand X Max Rayman which is a kind of, I don't know if anyone, Brand X was like a weird brand in the 80s that was kind of, it was almost like a non-brand, even with the name of it. I mean, they had pro riders in England, Sean Goff rode for them and stuff, so you'd see ads in the magazine, and I just remember it was this, like, graphic, like, it was like a yellow board with this weird black paint, a spa, uh, splattered paint graphic of this guy, and it, I don't know if you ever remember a character from TV back then called Max Hedrum. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he looked kind of like that, but Mac, like he had shades on and this kind of like, it just looked like a weird sketchy. And I was like, oh, it looks like that guy I see on TV. I don't know. <laughs> and I remember I skated it for a couple of weeks without grip tape because I needed to save up more to oh. afford grip tape. And, but I was psyched. I got it going. <laughs> Fuck. As you kind of got into it, was there like a, 
like were there skate shops back at that time or were you getting them more from like a sporting goods or or what no we were lucky actually in my part of london west london there's a town called ealing um well there's part of ealing called northfields and there was a skate shop there called buddies and i remember it was like i think it was a it was like a next to a carnival shop, the joke shop that sold like costumes and like little pranks, you know, like firecrackers and fart bombs or whatever, you know, like stink bombs, or whatever, sort of fart cushions and stuff like that. So we knew that where that store was because I was like a good little kid hangout, you know. And then next door to it popped up this skateboard shop, and that, you know, that kind of got things going. Those two old older guys from the seventies, the skate scene, who kind of like got it going again in London, and so. Yeah, we, we were fortunate to have a, a little skate scene in our town from that. Mm, rad, yeah, same. Like, I bought my first board and the guy's like, go up the street, there's a ditch up there, get in there. Like, it was like, whoa. Dude, that, I mean, this, is, this just really speaks to the power of a, a skate shop, like a physical location, that, a community hub, because, you know, these days, I don't, I don't, obviously, depending on where you live, location could mean you have to order things online and stuff, but... Just the the industry's shifting that way so much, and I really feel bad for the skate community and how much it does. Because you know, when we travel on tours with skate teams and stuff, and you visit these stores and you see what they do and the effect they have yeah. on the local scene, like the skate park, they they just generate like uh, interest and culture that that's um, oh, it's really healthy, and you just can't replicate that stuff online or digitally quite as much. You know, it's a, oh, absolutely, yeah, yeah. I've been. Uh, trying during this time especially i've been trying to like uh support skate shops all around the country like uh the lotties guy made these shirts and uh i started just buying them i'd be like okay who who made them and and i was like i'm gonna treat it like collectibles and i just started getting like one or two a week and stuff it's just like yeah let's give back the skate shops are so important and the diehards, you know what I mean? They're the ones who were there before and during, and when the money goes, you know, they're still hanging on as, until they can't, you know? Yeah. They're not, they're not, they didn't show up when the money was here, you know? Totally. They're the ones that, you know, run by skaters and stuff like that, so, um, yeah. Yeah, and they're always willing to take us to their local spots when we're in town and show us a good time, provide a barbecue, whatever. It's like everything. Yeah, yeah it's like yeah, it's, like it's, you it's, said, the the online is not gonna provide that. No, I mean think about how many experiences you've had, like you know when you just you know, just watching a new skate video or seeing a new mag show up on the counter of the skate shop, and you like flick through it right away and. Just having that place where you can discuss stuff, you know, whether it's spots or, like, oh, this guy's style's sick or, this, you know, like, what, what's in, oh, that music was rad, what, what was that from, you know, like, it's just, it's just a breeding ground for, like, making things sicker, you know? Yeah. Like, it's, it's, a, it's more than just, like, retail. You're not just, like, selling a product. You're selling, you know, like, it's, like, enhancing the whole scene. Uh, I, can't, I can't state it enough. Like, I love skate shops. Like, I think they're amazing. When I walk into them now, I'm still, like, a little kid, like, a... Yeah, like the, yeah. <laughs> you look at the stickers and the trucks. I'm just like, God, this stuff's still so sick. I don't know, like totally. And I yeah. like picking their brains too. Like they're in touch with what boards are selling. Why? Like, are the like is FA the new craze? Like, what's going on? Like, you know. And and you see that each scene is so different. You know, like they've all got their own little vibe going on and what they're into, and it's it's cool. It's unique. You know, like yeah. it, it's uh, it's regional. You know, it's uh, it's people, totally people got their own thing going on. So when you got 
like a little more into skating and were kind of aware of things, uh, who was some of your early influences? Like who were the dudes that uh, locally you thought like, oh my God, these guys are rad or, you know, put up on a pedestal of kind of inspiration? I mean, we had a, like I said, we had a good little local scene and, um, you know, some of the guys I skate with like in my neighborhood started getting like, you know, flowed products and in magazines. One guy, Johnny Wilson was like really sick and, um, there was a, actually, I always, I always joke about this because people trip, but that guy, JK from Jamiroquai, he used to skate with us and that, and he used to be at that skate shop and he, he was a pretty good skater at the time. So they were kind of like our immediate like peers. And mm. then once you started discovering like skating beyond our like zip code, as you'd say, or postcode in England yeah. and all over London, there was skaters like Curtis McCann. He was phenomenally ahead of his time and super influential on all of us back then. He rode for the skate shop M-Zone that I eventually got sponsored by, which was a huge deal for me and it kind of like led to a lot of other things. Uh-huh. So he, he was like, it was a big deal. He was like our age group, but like light years ahead in his skating, in his style, just in his like mindset and his personality, just a really like inspiring dude, you know? Okay. Um, he rode for Underworld Element back in the day when Element skateboards used to be Underworld Element. Andy Howell and those guys just like yeah, Julian, I think, right? Julian was on the team. Yeah, um, he had, yeah, he had a couple of clips in Sky Page of the video back then, so that was a big deal for us local guy. Comes big, you know. Uh. Um, he had a sick graphic that was like this really like kind of quite a political piece about like you know uh, racism and like how African culture had been like pillaged throughout the years like it was this really progressive dude like everything about him was like light years ahead and I can't speak about him enough he's one of those but he, he kind of disappeared off the scene pretty rapidly uh, at a certain point so um, yeah it's one of those things where if you weren't there to sort of feel the feel the fire it's hard to explain it it doesn't convey now you know oh, okay um, is he is he what's he doing now no one knows uh, he's still around, you know, people still see him around London and stuff, but he, I think he just, he got a little bit disillusioned with the whole skate scene, like he, it all happened really rapidly for him. When I was young, I rode for Powell, and I got him on the team, and then he ended up getting on Underworld Element, and then he got, uh, came out to the States early, he was like one of the first UK dudes to come out to the States before like Flip Guys and all that stuff, ah. and I heard he smashed it at some contests, and then I the story goes he broke his femur at Wallenberg, oh. which is pretty bad and fucked him up pretty good. Um, uh. And then I think as well he kind of saw the ins and outs of the skate scene, like the you know the more politics of just like how things worked. And I think he just he was like, "Whoa, this isn't what I thought it was," and came back and just threw in the towel and all that and started going to school and focus. I think he studied like African studies or world, you know, something like that. And sure, yeah, you know, yeah, he's just uh, just switched lanes. So um, okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> was he skated? Was that around the same time, like Simon Evans? Yeah, he, that was another name I was about to bring up. A amazing, amazingly progressive street skater that you probably saw in San Francisco when he moved out there, huh? Yeah, and his mythos is like heavy. Like people from England always talk about he, he, I'm not saying they shouldn't, but like I, right. it was always like Simon Evans. Like he was the well, guy. Everything I pretty much said about Curtis just applies to him as well you know like he was like two steps ahead of everyone doing his own thing like it was always like whoa you're doing like remember when huge pants and small wheels were kind of the rage yeah he was he was like three three steps ahead of us all and all that stuff and the tricks he did were very innovative and just his outlook again like you know it wasn't it was a whole package you know and that's what made these guys really special they didn't just like come with some 
a little bit of trick. It was like their style, their clothes, their attitude, what they spoke about in their interviews in the magazines. They were all, mm -hmm. you know, yeah, really, really amazing dudes. Um, and another guy, who, there were street skaters, another guy I skated with a lot back then was a guy called Jason Lunn. He was also on the M-Zone shop team. He did a lot for me in my career and got me, you know, like hooked up and made sure I got to, uh, in front of the right people at contests and stuff. Cause I was just a little kid. I didn't know what the hell was going on, you know? And, yeah. and he pushed me hard, just tried, tried to skate harder, you know? He was super talented and kind of an asshole about it, but in a good way, like a big brother, you know, who'd always, like a, a skating version of a noogie, like get you in a headlight, you know, like you, <laughs> you, you gotta do two more tricks today before I give you a ride home, that kind of thing. And you're like, oh, okay, oh yeah. really? You know, like, oh, you did a crowd side? Now you gotta do it to Reva, otherwise we're not going, you know, you don't have to walk home. I'm like, what? You know, like that kind of guy, you know? Oh, sick. But, but it's always for the good. And yeah, to uh -huh. this day, I still talk to that guy. Yeah, all these guys, they're just, I don't know. It's, um, it's, I feel lucky that I had like really pretty unique people to be inspired by in that London scene back then. I mean, there's loads more. Aaron Bleasdale, he's another one that back then was, you know, like, they just had like, it, and it sounds lame to say, but uh, they had what we, you know, what we looked at as like what the Americans were doing, these guys had, you know, because there was a delay. You'd always get like magazines a little later, videos a little later, and we, we felt like we were always trying to catch up. Right. But then suddenly there was these dudes among us who were like, no, these, these guys don't need to, like, we're, we're following them as much as we're following the, the US guys, you know, like they were inventing stuff like on the same level or keeping up, you know. And sure. They also, all these guys I mentioned, all made the trips to the States, you know, like had US sponsors and stuff. So that seemed to legitimize them a little bit more for us back then because, you know, no, it's not like now where Europe has you know, magazines, uh, uh, companies, and a full industry of its own, you know, everything was reliant on what was happening in California back then. So for these guys to have that kind of legitimate backing from US brands was huge, you know, it was, a, right. it was made a big deal for us back then. Okay. So was that shop, what was it, M-Zone, is that your first sponsor? Um, no. <laughs> First real sponsor. Before that, when I was at, uh, hanging out at that buddy's skate shop, I got a clothing sponsor called Krakatoa. <laughs> 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 These guys, they sponsored a few skaters around the UK. They ran a couple of ads in the mags, and their clothes were pretty awful, even by 80s standards. You know how uh, 80s had like a lot of skulls and patterns and gear, you know, like pretty loud. Yeah. They, were, they were like like that and then some, you know, and... Uh, I remember the very first photo I had in a magazine was this tiny little, like, you know, it wasn't even quarter page, it was like a tiny little inset photo, and it just said Mike from Krakatoa. And I think a lot of people asked me, like, hey, are you from Krakatoa? Like, they thought I was actually from the <laughs> oh, island. it's like a city. Oh, there's yeah, an uh, island? Uh, yeah, I think, well, there's a, Krakatoa is the uh, volcano. There's a vol uh, and I think, it, I think it's the island of Krakatoa, or either, either way, there's a volcano, I believe there's an island. I should uh -huh. probably know my job should know my geography by now but uh anyway <laughs> yeah. yeah people thought i was actually from a place called krakatoa and it was like no that's actually my clothing sponsor for about like a month <laughs> what mag was that uh that would have been read and destroy uh. um yeah oh maybe it was bmx action bike because that was it was a bmx magazine that transitioned into being a skate magazine as like just things shifted over time that was the one i said you, you'd see like you know vert skating in 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 the BMX mag, and it was like, oh, okay, this is, it's coming back. <laughs> yeah. Uh, 
were you aware of like Jeff Rowley and Tom Penny back then, or when did they come onto into your nah, radar? They were like a few years after this generation, just a couple, you know what I mean? Um, but I remember when those guys showed up, they were tiny, like tiny little boys, you know, like 11, 12 year olds. I mean, they, I think they were maybe small for that age, you know. Jeff's not a giant dude, you know, he's like, he's, and yeah, neither's Tom, you know, they're kind of like. Not, they're not, not built like big guys, you know, and so at that age they looked especially young and that combined with their skating level was just kind of like a real head turner. You're like, who, are who the hell are these guys? You know, like, they, when they showed up it was quite a game changer for the UK, you know, like they were, they were the new breed kind of thing. Sure, yeah. Uh, sound and vision video, was that, <laughs> was that one of the early ones for you? That was the second skate video I guess I'd made. That was the first in fully independent video. The one before that was kind of a fun project that um, worked out because I went to an art college and two skater friends of mine went to the same college, Matt Fowler and Mark Channer. Hmm. Mark Channer had access to the media studies. He, he did media studies, so he had access to an edit suite. And Matt was a year ahead of me doing the same as me, um, like fine art and graphic design. And for his project, he was doing like a branding for a skate company. And so we thought it'd be fun to make a little skate video for his project. And so we filmed each other as we were like a fake skate team and made a little video out of that. And um, New Deal UK, the distributors, they saw it and they're like, oh, make us some copies, we'll sell it. And so we sold that around the UK, maybe like a handful of copies, like 10 copies. But that got me sparked on the idea of being able to film and edit stuff, um, just having access to that edit suite. The guy was really stoked because the dude who ran the suite never had anyone really use it as much as they could have or should have. So even though I wasn't supposed to be in there, he just liked my enthusiasm and let me use it whenever I wanted. So um, Was that so yeah. tape to tape? Yeah, VHS to VHS, but it was a pretty legit setup where you could, you know, cue the sync points and it would like pre-roll, so you weren't like hitting play and pause at the same time. Right, that's how we did um, damaged. Dam like, yeah, with one of those decks. Uh, yeah, the yeah, thing, uh, Zawanich had some rental unit up by uh, Fort Miley, some dude had it with the, exactly what you're saying, like, yeah, the but once shuttles. you laid it down, there was no going back. Yeah, 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 you were from <laughs> beginning to end, so yeah, yeah, you was, yeah if you want to, actually this one you could do some drop edits, but it was difficult, especially if you wanted to try and time anything nicely, you know, uh -huh. but um, yeah, that's a good good way of learning if you've done it back then it's like a nice discipline um you really appreciate the freedom of computers now <laughs> oh <laughs> man yeah, yeah yeah uh okay i've never been to england unbelievably no no <laughs> that so, shocks me yeah, oh my goodness it's okay it's so weird one i don't know why but uh what yeah. are some of the top places uh, for skating? Like South Bank, I hear, right? Is is a yeah. Must South Bank, South Bank's legendary because of it's just its history, I guess you'd say, you know, um, and the fact that it like wasn't made for skateboarding and it's so good for skateboarding, you know. So that place has a lot going for it. Um, I mean, London's great in that it has a lot of history. There's a handful of like relic old concrete skate parks that are still around: Romford, Harrow. They're the main big ones with like a bunch of bowls and you know weird half pipes and things like that. that I'm sure you've seen in all kinds of videos and magazines. Yeah. And uh, 
Is that one that there's no flat bottom? I think Mike Frazier was doing a front blunt in it. Is that in that, England? That, yeah, that's Harrow Skate Park. And that was actually the first skate park I ever went to as a kid. Me oh. and my buddy, we like bunked off of school one day and we heard about it through the BMX or skate mags, you know, back then and just took a couple of buses and just found it, you know. Like, it was weird. Back then you had no real information, you know. Yeah, like, same here. There was a... UK, I think you guys had Thomas Guides out here as a, a book map, and yeah. uh, back back yeah. there we have a A to Z, which is like a little pocket map where you can have a, a to Z or of all the streets, uh. and um, so we kind of used that and just figured out where it was, and yeah, it was. I mean, yeah, those places were crazy. The very first time I went to Harrow Halfpipe, there's a skater called Matt Baines, UK skater, vert skater. Yeah, Matt Baines did a, a fully stretched. Uh, gymnast plant in the Harrow Halfpipe, right where Mike Frazier's front blunt was. That was like the, one of the first things I seen. Like I got to the skate park, there was almost no one there, and me and my buddy were cruising around, just like wobbling around on transitions, didn't know what the hell we we're doing. And this dude shows up, drops in on the halfpipe, didn't roll in from the side like everybody else. Dropped like perched up on that like two inch deck, drops in a thing like axle stall and just straight into a stretch gymnast man like i mean Whoa. that wasn't the that wasn't the first trick he did but that was like pretty much like the session you know <laughs> i was just like who the f what that you know like i said Show I was time. Just, yeah i was just getting my head around even what skateboarding was you know and yeah that sort of stuff just blew my mind absolutely oh. blew my mind do you still go to the loo or do you go to the bathroom like what are some of these <laughs> english things that you've carried on with you uh english words uh you know, like bullocks, maybe. Uh, Toad said dribs and drabs, you say a lot. Yeah, um, dribs and drabs, maybe. I'll throw that. I don't, yeah, I, I guess that's an English thing. Um, bits and bobs. Yeah, oh, I, yeah, just little things like, oh, I'll have a bit of that. I don't know. Do you guys say, I'll have a bit of that? I don't know. Maybe not so much. Not so much. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I don't pick up on it. I find myself more noticing when I have to translate to what I call American English, you know, because I remember from the day I got here, if I asked for a, a glass of water, a, a you know, waitress or anyone, you know, can I get a water with that? I'd literally get a blank stare. And you'd think water and water are not that, um, you know, they're, they're close enough. <laughs> yeah. uh, or, you know, tomato, tomato, the same thing, you know, it's yeah. the worst. Worst is through a drive-through because you have that extra, you know, layer of the audio. Um, but yeah, you would just—you'd be surprised. You have to sort of translate certain things just to get by. You know, like it, you can explain what water is a few times, but after a while, you're just like, oh, all right, just, it's just water. Then I guess you know, <laughs> when in Rome, right? You got to like speak the language. <laughs> yeah, it's so. like the lift. <laughs> yeah, and I, I've had UK friends like come out and stay, and they. It's almost like they, they dig their heels in and try and be even more British than they even were or, you know, like really thicken up the accent just because like they don't want to bend or don't want like this, like they don't want to give in and say th something in an American way. Uh. But, it, but at some point you just got to get on with your day, man. You just <laughs> well, is there like a little bit of the thing like the name of our country is England. Obviously, English is our fucking language. <laughs> oh, there, there's a huge amount of pride to that, you know, like and if you... Yeah, you know, if an English person gets corrected by an American person, or, you know, qu the language is even questioned, you know, that straight away it's like, well, who bloody invented that shit, you know? And I get it, you know? Yeah. I, I back that 100%, but at the same time, it's like, you know, sometimes you're just in a 
Danny's in Arizona and you just want to get your glass of water with your food and get on with life. You know? You're not trying to make it change the world, you know, you just want to get on with the day. So. Oh, man. And, you know, I'm sure, I know my English friends think my accent's changed over the years because I've been here so long. It, it sort of drifts up and down. But the more I think about it, I start, you know, maybe sounding a bit more English and... Sure. I mean, all, you all acclimate to up. your surroundings. My friend yeah. of mine moved to Australia to go to college and he came back after like three or four years and he had an Australian accent. I was like, dude, you're not from, what the fuck? Yeah, Australian's quite contagious. I could see that. You know, yeah. that's, that, that accent's, you know, it's because it's a bit fun, you know, like I think that's, that's when accents like, you know, you start picking them up is because they sound fun. I yeah. Maybe more Absolutely. interesting. So, did you get on PAL when you were still in England? Yeah, that was my first big sponsor, I guess you'd say. I was at a contest in Birmingham, and this guy called Frank Messman, who was running the PAL UK, uh, Europe setup over there, he's a Danish uh, vert skater slash freestyle skater, which is an okay. interesting combination. Um, huh. He used to like, literally enter a vert contest and then be in the freestyle contest like 10 minutes later afterwards. Wow. Um, but uh, yeah, really nice dude. You know, a little bit older generation than me from uh, you know the Europe scene, and um, he was, I guess, kind of putting together a team at the time. And uh, they started that Euro Brigade, I guess you'd call it, and put a bunch of us on the team. And uh, yeah, that was a, that was kind of a big deal. Got to start traveling, got end up in a couple of the videos, got on some PAL tours, which was really trippy going on tour with you know the people that i used to look at in videos like just a minute before you know so sure yeah it was, um, it was did that deal. bring you to the u.s for the first time no um i came out after powell i, I started riding for santa cruz um through my friend aaron bleasdale he's a london skater as mentioned before he he was riding for santa cruz at the time and uh things were going like progressing a little bit with those guys they were kind of considering turning someone pro in Europe according to the European team manager mm. and this is a whole funny story I don't even want to maybe don't want to get into but he was he was really pushing to set me up to turn pro this guy Shane O'Brien nice guy and he was running the European team and he I, yeah I felt like he was really like trying to like nudge me in that direction like all right you got to do this you got to do that win these contests get coverage I'm just like all right whatever you know yeah, and uh, like I actually just quit Powell because the whole traveling with pros and being in that spotlight tripped me out. Like I wrote a letter to Frank Messman, was like, "Thanks, man, but like I really appreciate all these opportunities, but I can't do this. This is like nuts. Like, you know, like I don't think this is for me." Ah. And so my so my friend Aaron was like, "Oh, well, Santa Cruz can just give you flow your boards. You don't have to do anything." And I was like, "Well, that sounds mad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's more my speed." <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. I just didn't want to be like skating in front of people at demos and things. It scared the shit out of me. And uh -huh. uh, and then, but then next thing I know, I'm riding for Santa Cruz, and the team manager's like sending me to contests and trying to get me filming and all that kind of. You know, next thing I was like back in the game again, and it was it was cool. I was having fun, you know. But it was just like, whoa! They did this weird setup where they like put me kind of almost against this other skater from Europe, Dirk Winkelmann from um, Holland. This, this is how Shane explained it to me. He was like, they're going to pay you guys a little bit of money for a year. And they never paid amateurs back then. It was just a couple yeah. of hundred bucks. And they're like, after a year, whichever one does better, they're going to turn pro. And I was like, really? All right, whatever, you know. And with almost a year after that, I was coming to the States, uh, I was just traveling just to come skating, and he was, Shane was like, you gotta ask those guys, you gotta ask those guys at Santa Cruz, and like, 
I put it off the whole trip until I was like back, you know, like the last, last day. And he's like, you got to talk to them. You know, you're there, like have a meeting. And I was like, fuck, I don't want to do this, man. It like scared the shit out of me. So I ended up in a room with Kendall and Bob and I, a couple of NHS heads, you know, and I'm just like looking at my toes, like mm, so shame, so <laughs> murmuring, you know, like I can't even get the words out. I'm just like mm, some, something about a pro board, I don't know. And like <laughs> they were just like, uh, I don't know what he they'd heard or he. They were just like, no, that's not happening, you know. Like <laughs> you're tripping. Like what, where does this come from, kind of thing. And I was just like, never mind, sorry, bye bye, you know. Like so I left, and then uh, yeah, I don't know. Just things got really weird with me, and sh just the whole thing got weird. So I just. Yeah, left that and uh, ended up writing for ATM Click after that. So okay, who yeah. were some of the early dudes in in the PAL that you were awestruck by? Like, who were you traveling with that you're like, holy shit, that's Tommy Guerrero or whoever it was? I mean, I wish Tommy was on one of the tours. That would be tight. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm a huge fan of Tommy Guerrero. Man, I watched his the, the Future Primitive part of his like the intro. Jesus, I watched that on loop over and over. But um, yeah, seriously, I uh, I was Tony Hawk, which is you know, oh. Lance Mountain, Ray Underhill, Eric Sanderson. That was the first tour around the UK, Fuck. and then you know after that for the next couple of years, there was trips with like you know all the guys, Cab. Everyone was out for like Europe trips and stuff like that. So, uh, but the very first tour was Tony, Lance, um, Ray Underhill, and Eric Sanderson. And wait, wait, that was before Rudy and Guy, then, right? I might I get my dates. I want to say those guys might have got on. That was yeah. That would have been because the first video I was in was Propaganda, and oh. so those and those guys were in Band This. Yeah. Right. So those they were they were fresh on the scene, you know. Wow. Um, so that was that was the era. That was like ninety one, ninety two. I don't know. I gotta get my. I should have done my research. <laughs> were you were you there for a while or not that long? A couple of years, yeah. You know, I did a couple of summers with them, like you know, UK tours, a couple of um, Europe summers. Yeah, I mean, did you work at all with Stacy? Nah, they um, they sent cameras over to the Europe, and um, they sent cameras over to Europe, and Frank would film, or we'd film each other and stuff like that. So, oh, uh, okay, yeah. yeah, sick. So, how old were you when you like crossed the pond, as they say, moved to the U.S.? I was around 94, 94. I started com coming out, so I was, you know, uh, it was around 93, 94, I started, like, coming and staying for longer and longer, yeah, so I was, you know, 18, 19, 28. And, and did you move straight to Santa Rosa, or where did you? No, um, first stop was, I would stay in uh, Encinitas with Mario Rubelcaba, because oh, yeah. that was th through ATM Click, okay. and so that was a rad house, like, he lived with a couple of rad dudes, um, this guy Scott Bartoloni, he was in the band Clickatat Ikatoi um, that Mario was in, and so I'd go see their, their shows a lot. And then Tony Cox and Chip Van Ham, oh, um, they all lived in that house too. They were, we just got those guys on the team, so it was kind of like the, we, we made the first ATM video in those few months that I came out here, and uh, yeah, just that was like a little Encinitas-based vibe. Um, and then yeah, lived in San Clemente when I kind of started like getting my own place first because that was where ATM was based and I was also like running the brand as you know like doing the graphics the team the videos like kind of just doing all the in-house stuff as well as writing for them because that was kind of the deal like no one else was going to do it and they were basically like if you want to ride for us you can have the whole deal <laughs> and so uh yeah I got handed that one that's an interesting story actually how that went down that was a 
a weird bait and switch. <laughs> yeah. So I'd been out here skating around uh, the year before, and I was in LA. I'd skate, staying with Lance Mountain because I'd met him on the tours, and those guys were kind enough to let me stay with them. And uh, while skating around LA with Lance, we you know, we skated streets a lot with um, a couple of times with Ron Chapman, and. After the NH this NHS thing kind of went a bit weird and I came back from that trip where they were like, yeah, you're not turning pro. I was like, oh, I don't know, I'm just kind of do something different. So the Tom Boyle and Jason Corbett saw me in Europe and they were like, hey, you should call up this number and get these guys to send you boards. They're like, they rode for New School. And I was like, what is New School? I didn't even know what that company was at the time. So the connection was go to this distributor, pick up some boards. So I go down to this distributor called Surrey Skates in the UK, like it's an old skate shop that's been there forever. And when I go to see the boards, I see all these ATM boards next to it. And I'm like, whoa, what are these? You know, like and they were basically explained like, yeah, they come from the same place. SOP Distribution does New School and ATM. It's like sister brands. And I see Ron's board and Gon's boards, and I'm just like, well, I want to ride for ATM. I don't want to ride for New School. I don't even know what New School is, you know? So I, I think I even called them up right there in the store or whatever, but like I, ca I called up and I talked to the guy. It was Ned Haddon who was like running the team stuff or whatever, and I was like, hey, and I, I was hanging out with Ron, and I like these ATM boards, and Ron happened to be there. So he passed the phone over. Talked to Chapman for a second. I'm like, man, these boards are way sick. Uh, any chance I can get flowed some of these, whatever? And he's like, yeah, I'll talk to Mark and see what's up, you know? A week later, uh, Ned calls me up. He's like, you're on ATM. I'm like, no freaking way. I was lost my shit. Like, I was like, I'm riding for the same team as Mark Gonzalez. Like, literally, like, blew my mind. You know what I mean? Like, this was uh. just pinnacle stuff. And then I didn't realize, but in that week was when Mark and everyone just left the whole brand. <laughs> Pretty much, it was like, I think a week or two time difference between the first call with Ron, and then they were like, yeah, you're on, but I was on a different team. It was a whole like reinvention of the brand. And so then they were like, yeah, we want you to come out to the States, meet everyone, and like, it just like turned into something way different. It was, it was cool in its own way, but it, was, it just felt like a bit of a bait and switch, you know what I mean? And Whatever, I've got no regrets. I've, I had a great time out of it. I met Mario and all the ATM dudes and all the opportunities that came out of that. Like, sure. a guy, John Fallahy, who ran that whole operation, he's an interesting character, but I owe him a lot, you know? Like, he gave me a huge, huge foot in the door. Like, good good friend. I've been meaning to actually go look, go by and see him and say, say what up and thank you again, because, you know, that was like a big break for me, getting to come out to the States and literally getting handed a brand to run and right. we got to, do whatever graphics we wanted, do whatever video we wanted. Like we, we got to mess around. It was fun. Like, so it's yep. interesting to look back on times when you felt one way and now you look back with your wisdom and say, eh, that might have rubbed me wrong or whatever, but it was so instrumental in like what oh, I got going. Totally. I mean, I was only tripping on the guns thing for a second. I was still like, wow, this is a cool thing, you know? Like, I liked all the dudes that were involved in it once I got to know them, but there was like, the only dude I really knew was Mario because he was already a, like a known skater. The rest of the team was pretty much unknown. It was like Jeff King, Kip Sumter, you know, like dudes that weren't like big names by any means, but they were ripping skaters and cool dudes. So it was cool to get involved in that and yeah, yeah. What was your mindset going from England, which is kind of like overcast and dreary most of the time, to San Clemente, <laughs> like one of the nicest places, almost Hawaii down there? So, yeah, I mean, San Clemente, it, 
did feel like a permanent vacation, you know? It's, um, it's a funny town because you've got this odd mix of, you know, sort of older conservative people, you know? And then you've got the sort of surf element, sort of more really like bro vibe kind of thing, yeah. which I was surprised it isn't quite as laid back as you'd think, you know? It's a little, little bit more macho than I thought, you know, than you, you think from afar until you're in the mix of it. And then you've got like the Camp Pendleton um, military scene, which is right oh, on the border yeah. right there. So it's an interesting cocktail of people, um, but it's a you know it's a cool town and you know fun stuff to skate there and like I said it was just a yeah interesting foot in the door to all of this. Interesting, yeah. That's where Sheckler's from, right, San Clemente? Yeah, born and raised. Wow. So then, what drew you to the world famous Santa Rosa? <laughs> well, Santa Rosa was uh, a kind of interesting connection because through the new school ATM thing, we have. Um, we had John Minor on the team uh, on New School at the time, oh. and uh, yeah, he was really, really ripping skater back then. Um, I mean, still is, but back then he was on fire. And he connected us with Gabeman, who sent us the sponsor me video, and we straight away put him on ATM. And I remember I'd take a Greyhound bus, or, or no, I'd fly to SF and then take the bus up to Santa Rosa. I remember getting off the bus and seeing Brian and John walking around the corner to meet me and like, I don't know, they just looked like almost like a cartoon character. They were like a pair, you know what I mean? Like the, they were like, they were kind of meant to be together kind of thing. And you know, they were like really tight rows and it was an interesting little scene because back then you had uh, Hansi Driscoll, Joel Price, right. a whole bunch of Nanda Zip, you know, oh, a whole yeah. bunch of ripping skaters in that town, you know, all like killing it, sponsored by good sponsors and doing good things. And um, Sean Delinsky lived there, so he, we had a photographer close by, which was you know pretty rare. Minor was already filming, so it was an active scene. And obviously, the skate park was a huge draw because that was like the first concrete skate park in California, I think, since Derby almost. I heard. I think you know, it was. It was a yeah, long, it's long gap. It's an old one. Yeah, it was like one of the first ones before the whole wave of concrete came back. So. Yeah, it was a it was a good connection, good scene, and um, yeah, there was very hospitable crew. Everyone up there, like let you know, welcomed me in, and ended up. I'd stay there every you know month for a weekend or so at least, and then ended up after the ATM thing kind of went south. I um, I just ended up moving up there for a, a year or so and uh, getting my place. So, and is that right around adrenaline? Yeah, exactly. So uh, after ATM, I was already spending a lot of time in Northern California and skating with Chris a bunch because I met Chris and Jaya in Europe on some trips and, you know, we traveled a bunch. And so when I came out to Northern California, I'd go and stay with them a little bit and uh, got to know Hansi and Strubing and those guys. And uh, it was quite a natural shift to go from ATM to uh, skating with those guys, you know. Yeah, that team i mean there's a few in the history of skateboarding obviously but that team seemed super uh like what you think about when you're a skater is you're like if we have a team i want everyone to get in the van and the whole team check off on this guy before we put him on and that team exemplified that like everybody loved everybody there was no like oh is this guy coming fuck that guy or whatever <laughs> <laughs> no, no absolute family vibe and you yeah. know those those guys welcomed me in so you know i felt so welcome as just like brothers you know what i mean and uh and right around the time i was getting involved toad got on the team and you know mm -hmm. just 
they're all family. Like these guys are, you know, to this day, like people are considered brothers, you know, like my couch right. is their couch. Actually, that's funny. When I stayed in SF at uh, Jaya and Hansi and Strubing's house, I ended up, I'd stay on the couch so much. I didn't like the couch. It sucked. So I ended up bringing my own couch and swapping it out. And <laughs> they, didn't, they didn't seem to mind. I think mine was a little more comfortable to sit on as well as to sleep on. But um, nice. Yeah, no, it was, it was definitely a family affair. And, you know, even when, when I lived in that house, Jaya's <laughs> sister was living there as well. So it really did feel like a family. And, uh, mm. yeah, I don't know. I, I got so much to thank those guys for because, uh, again, like it was, the, you know, those, those are the things that, you know, made a big difference back then. You know, I was just a kid floating around from the UK. I didn't know what was going on. And so it, right. it gave me a good, good anchor and, you know, truly inspiring people to be skating with like really push your skateboarding wow hey let's take a quick break and hear from some of our friends hey it's Corey at blue plate 3218 mission street come see us meatloaf fried chicken deviled eggs dollar olympia beers we're here every day of the week we got a garden and we got smiles on our faces come let us make you happy <laughs> it's Don Wapo. Looking for a good hot sauce with a little kick? Step up to Don Wapo. Don Wapo Hot Sauce has flavor and all the kick you need. They even have a new signature hot sauce for Andy Roy. Friends of the show, Don Wapo has a special offer to all you listeners. You now can go to donwapo.com and with the discount code TALKINSCHMIDT, you'll receive $1 off every order. That's donwapo.com for all your spicy needs. Orale pues! And now... Another first impression with Timothy Donald McKenney. First impressions of I am a cinematographer. Mike Missouri is uh, Tampa. And it's back in the day when the Adrenaline and Think teams would get together and go there together. So I'm not only there with the legends of Think... But I'm, I'm there uh, with like guys like Sergi Ventura and shit like that. But I'm there with the Adrenaline guys too, where I can just go in the room and sit down and watch Chris Sen draw some Greek god. Because I remember the two things I do remember about this trip, and don't don't knock it out, I'm sure, uh, I'm sh- I don't know if Toad was there, but I know Jai was there because I remember seeing him walk around outside. I remember, I'm sure Struben was there because he was the ripper, the young killer. Uh, I'm sure Hansi Driscoll was there doing his uh, not even above coping switch kick flips to uh, just whatever. But I know for a fact that Chris Sen was killing that art in the book because I sat right next to him in their room at Tampa. And on top of that, the other thing I do remember is Minzuri getting on his board. I'd never seen him skate before. And he's flying stale fishes out of the quarter pipe. He's got the smoothest lines and he almost doesn't look like he cares. He's one of those guys like Rivet. I just don't care. I'm just ripping. But I remember the one thing I do remember is five foot high stale fishes, eyes closed, front side, no prob. I remember his glasses. And I also remember his cool accent. He reminded me of almost like a beetle. He talked like a goddamn beetle. It was so sick. Anyways, all love. I love all you guys. Always stay up, fellas. 
Hey, it's Matt D. at DLX Skate Shop, 1831 Market at Guerrero, as in Tommy. Come see us. Real, Antihero, Crooked, Thunder, Venture, Spitfire. We're here every day of the week except the big holidays. We've got a curb and we've got smiles on our faces. Come let us get you stoked. Let's talk a little bit about Jaya. Like, you got some cool stories. Um, he was such an incredible dude. And uh, actually, I was just in Hawaii last year and i kicked it a whole day with his sister and we got to kind of reminisce a little bit uh fuck i mean jaya is so missed obviously but you got to spend a lot of time see the dude was an amazing skateboarder obviously but some people might not know he was pretty amazing photographer as well he was just kind of like one of those dudes that's really good at whatever he decided to do definitely yeah no jaya was uh huge inspiring influence on me i mean just to, the way he conducted himself you know what it was on and off the board like the way he skated was you know hard as nails he ripped you know fast yeah. and just did the tricks to what, what you wanted to see the way you want to do it and did some wild stuff too like a lot of those like rail things he would do and stuff like that was trippy you know um but yeah i mean i remember being hyped on Jaya from back in the NHS days. I remember when he first started getting ads on Santa Cruz and stuff, I was like, who the hell is Jaya Bondarov? Like, and the footage you see of him was just bad at, you know, like right yeah. out of the gate, you know? So uh, I think it was maybe Big Pants, Small Wheels, that old Santa Cruz video, he had some sick stuff in. So I was already like pretty hyped just to be around a dude that I was like seen from afar. And then just when you, you know, live with someone and travel with someone and just see how they conduct themselves and relate, uh, react to situations and stuff like that. He was always like just rock solid, you know, and uh, yeah, he had a pretty interesting life story, you know, that, you know, very personal and very deep. And just, I think a lot of that stuff maybe even affected him and just kind of, it's the sort of stuff that could have affected people in a, a more detrimental way, but it seemed to make him stronger or make, he, 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 took hard things and made made them into a better situation you know i don't know like he he learned from life and um he was it was always somebody who would do the right thing you know like he'd stand up for you if things got weird like you know he, he would be the one you you would want on your right hand side i mean he could definitely like take someone down if he needed to but he was like the gentle dude you know like and right. just just i don't know just always seemed to be like saying and doing the right thing so it was kind of like nice to sort of see that as like a little bit of a role model as you're like growing up you know because i was was, i was i was a bit of a spaz you know (laughs) i was a little bit like "Ah," like all all over the place and he seemed really in control i think that's what it was like and you know you talk about his photography wow like that's that really exemplifies that is like everything kind of came together visually in his photography because you could see so much control i mean i remember back then uh, he was using a lot of gear that was a little bit like ahead of what a lot of other or just like as far yeah, ahead as like other the medium format Hasselblad and yeah and the flashes and stuff and I, re- I remember sometimes skaters would be a little agitated how long he'd take to set up but like he was just really dialing it in and when he shot the photos they were on point you know they were flawless and clearly like you know technically like above the average skate photographer you know what I mean yeah but um I don't know I, I, I just thought it was it was just exemplified like he's like all right i'm just i'm just gonna take my time i'm gonna do this really well and it's gonna be fucking badass yeah <laughs> you know and that's kind of like that's what he did you know that's you know that ledge i think I, I don't know what street it's on i believe it's like washington or something but it's in front of a house on a hill and there's a driveway bump and he no slid it it's like 
a green, like maybe waist high ledge, but it's super on super long. Yeah, steep hill, and you have to clear like grate in the cement. It's like rough. Yeah, that shit today is so gnarly. Like I drive people by it all the time. I'm like this giant nose of this. Like I forget 95 or I don't know. Yeah. But it's like, dude, today people like it's so gnarly. Yeah, it's it's I, like the giant ledge. I mean, I was just uh, skimming through drives and I came across the clip of him sessioning uh, the Golden Gate Bridge. Before that, I think they put fence up. Now you can't really do it, but there's a section. Basically, the whole separation between the sidewalk and the, where the cars drive was like a metal ledge. And then there was a flat bar that came up at like a 35, 40 degree angle out of it. And he did like a 50-50 on the ledge to slappy 50-50 up the, the pole thing, pole oh, jam thing. Yeah. And uh, it was, you know, it's a hairball spot. You can't be skating on there for long. They come kick you out and stuff like that. And yeah, I remember his board was falling into traffic. It was gnarly, you know. And yeah, he's just, uh, just a badass dude that just like, I don't know, it was just some sick footage. I, I might send you that actually. I'm going to go off yeah, check on it. Yeah, that it, out. It's, it, just seeing him trying it and going for it and just like, all right, we got, it's, I don't know. I just remember it being like really intense, you know. It's like super windy up there too, and you're like, you're rushing in, rushing out. I don't know. Right. It was fun. Yeah. Were Were you on that uh, U.S. tour with Adrenaline that they did with Think? Like it was like Adrenaline and Think together. No, I wish I never got to go on those. Uh, yeah, Think tours, unfortunately. Uh, okay. Yeah. That that look. I didn't. I think Mark Whiteley went on that one, but I didn't get to go on that one. It was like. Look pretty sick. So yeah. much talent. I bet. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what about China Banks? You filmed Matt O'Brien, Nolly Tailslide. I did. Yeah, and I've got to find that footage somewhere. Yeah. It's some. It's somewhere. <laughs> I mean, I never throw anything away. It's in this room I'm sitting in. But uh, yeah, I'm not uh, not that organized at the moment. So you only yeah. have a few tapes, right? <laughs> yeah, only a few hundred. <laughs> Yeah, Matt O'Brien, my goodness, that dude's so talented. He was actually on that same um, drive that I was just looking at. He was skating huh? those uh, Jersey barriers down by the waterfront. Remember those? They were there for a while. Yeah, and he had like a corner kind of. Yeah, it was kind of almost bowled out, the whole yeah. thing. And in the footage, he's tagging up the Jersey barriers with his angel wings that were the slap logo for a long time. Remember those uh, angel wings he would yeah. do? Yeah. Yeah, it's funny. I was mentioning it to someone. They were like, "I didn't realize that was Matt O'Brien." But yeah, uh, he's a uh, he was ripping. Yeah, huh. good, good skate. That gnarly tail side to this day, like that's timeless. Good, you know, that stuff's never gonna get easier. <laughs> no, yeah, I wanna. I'm trying to put together like a a thing about China Banks, and I've been researching like photos, video, everything, trying to like man archival stuff. When you do like a documentary or something, that's like. Mm. It's one of the hardest things, like, to find the footage and, like, you feel, like, a lot of pressure to make, oh, dude, you forgot Upson's kickflip, you know, oh, sure. like, yeah, something like you, that. Yeah. You're, like, you, you open Pandora's box to, like, because you can't include every fucking thing that's happened and everybody has, you know, their opinion, but, um, sure. yeah, it's it's I been really some, cool I so some, far. I got some footy for you. I got some really good Jerry Gurney stuff there. Oh, right. Yeah, I was yeah. with you on the one where he, he trail right? slid over a bench, maybe. He did, like, boneless over a bench. Or backside and back, boneless. Back, back yeah. 360, or front boneless and back 360, and he did all kinds of stuff. Yeah, it was right. yeah. yeah. Okay, hell yeah. Have you ever done a hand plant on a vert? I mean, 
Technically, yes, but nothing to write home about. Uh, uh, pretty, they're pretty, they're pretty sorry-looking hand plants. Hand you know? on coping. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I used have, to skateboard all the time, bro. No, I know, <laughs> I know. You have. Have you ever tried to spin a five forty? Yeah, I could do five forties, back, backside grab ones. You've done them. Yeah. Rad. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it was like you think. Uh, Manjuri, I never, you ever, I never, I never had them on lock. Like, but you it was like a handful of sessions where things went well. Huh. And then a handful where they didn't go so well. <laughs> and you would do it backside air grab? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Fuck. Funny, funny story about that. that That's was, legit. Um, it's yeah, it it fun. It's scary. One of the, one of the gnarliest <laughs> things I think I've ever done for sure. I'm yeah. Proud of that one. But I remember at the time I was learning them, and Ali Cairns, fellow vert skater from the UK, he was learning them and. Once he got them, he had them on lock, and he grabbed them every which way, in detail, grab whatever way, mute, whatever, you know, he could do them all day. And uh, I remember we were skating that Northampton vert ramp one evening, and Sean Goff was there. And, you know, Sean's like uh, the guy we looked up to as kids, and he was the dude who first ever tossed a McTwist in England, I think. I want to oh. say he was the first dude who could make them in the UK. And he was you know, joining in the session. So we're all spinning around, we're all spinning around. At the time, he had a buddy there filming, and I was like, I made one, and I was like, did you get it? And he's like, nah, nah, I didn't film it. And he told me he didn't film it. And then years later, like years later, we're doing the Manic Marty video. I'm helping Fred out with that. And we're getting like old Tom Petty footage. And I end up, I think that's how it happened. Basically, I end, I end up getting this footage tape and I see my 540 on the same tape with Sean that same session. I'm like, motherfucker, you guys did film it. So I, did I saw he my not know that he filmed it or did he know and just not want to tell I, you? I, I'm pretty sure he was just doing it to fuck with me. You know, <laughs> I, I, and I don't know how long he was going to hold out for, but yeah, I, I found it later. I've got it on a VHS somewhere, but... Um, yeah, other than that, I've only ever got like slams of it on on like prop someone actually trying to film me, you know, like specifically. But uh, yeah, that that trick kicked my ass. I only Did, made a few of them. Have you <laughs> taken some heavy slams trying it? Just that you know, when you get like the elbow that looks like there's a whole pro design oh, pad, the whole swell P -P though, yeah, yeah, PD elbow pad underneath your skin, you know, like that size. You're just like, yeah, it's not good. God but, damn. Have you ever yeah. got knocked out? Any concussions? <sighs> Too many to count, mate. Really? My, my memory is so shot from it. Like oh, one wow. of the worst ones, I think. If you dig out there, if anyone would feel like there's an adrenaline industry section that was in four on one, which we actually got played twice because the first time they forgot to put the audio for the music on, so they put it again the next issue. Anyway, <laughs> but there's a clip of that, and I think it's Theo Hands holding my head, and you know Lincoln School in SF. There's a out front of it. There's like a ledge out that drops down so it's like a flat ledge and then it drops into sort of like a hubba style curb and i tried to grind drop grind went wrong flipped over hit my head on the curb and it poured out blood and knocked myself out cold for a while there and i remember that was particularly scary because i needed a few stitches and i didn't have insurance and i went to a few hospitals and i kept getting turned away and ended up just going back and buzzed it and hansi butterflied it for me and yeah i I uh I've hit my head too many times. It's uh it's not cool. <laughs> Fuck. Yeah. That's a bummer. Yeah, I definitely feel it's affected my memory or some of my job. And you know what else as well is like like my wife would notice that she I would be like really sensitive to my headspace. Like, you know, 
when you get close and she'd put her hand in my hair or like touch my head, I'd like flinch or whatever. Ah. And she, she always thought that was weird. Oh, you know, that was, you know, obviously it's unusual that, you know, normally someone stroking your hair is nice. And yeah. uh, so, but I was always like a little bit uh, overly aware of my peripheral headspace. And a few years ago, we were walking in our neighborhood. We actually got hit by a car, both of us, and she hit her head pretty bad. We're both fine yeah. out of it, but after she hit her head pretty bad, she had the same sort of same. thing where it's almost like there's like a radius around your head where like six inches or a foot away, anything coming in that space, you feel extra like vulnerable sure. and like nervous or twitchy or just like it just feels like not cool, you know? Right. And she was like, oh, I, I get it now. <laughs> it's because you hit your head so many times. You don't want nothing coming near it, you know? So um, Yeah, it's like your protective yeah. instinct. Yeah. Gotta All right, we're, that dome. we're gonna <clears throat> go to Instagram. I've given a, a little question for you from the Instagram army here. His uh, name cool. is X Robo Claw X, and he yeah. asked D Davros or Don Brighter Breeder. Oh my goodness, yeah, but <laughs> that's two uh, legendary UK skaters. Like, yeah, when I was a little kid, they were like OG OG skaters who are quite characters. I mean. Davros or Don Brider? Wow. I don't know, man. It's, yeah, it's, uh, I'm, I'm stumped on that one. I'd say Don Brider. Okay. Yeah, Don Brider, because he actually rode for that brand, uh, brand X company that I was talking about. So I think he might have had a little bit of a, a hand in me buying that board for the first, first board I ever bought. So yeah, probably Don Brider. He was probably okay. even riding the board that I bought, actually, now that I think, think about it. Let's transition into ca uh, camera life a little bit. Sure. What's like uh, early memories of your first camera getting into it more than just documenting like uh, somebody passing you a camera to like document somewhere you actually were like thinking about an artistic approach or this is going to be part of a video or that kind of thing. It first started with that sound and vision video you mentioned. That was that like was the, one. the first one where I was like, I'm going to do a video. You know, okay. we'd, we'd played around with that video before for my friend's project, it was called Jello, and that was just like, kind of like, all right, yeah, let's see how this works. And once we knew how it worked, and you had the ability to marry like, like visual with sound, like that, I fell in love with that. I remember as a little kid seeing, my dad had a camcorder when we were really young, I don't know how he got it, why he had it, but he had a camcorder and we were filming an air show where airplanes do stunts, you know, stunts flying around. And, I remember he put on Neil Young, Running Dry, that song, and he blasted it in the car and he filmed out the car so the sound was just like already embedded in the footage. I don't know if you know that song, but it's just got this like amazing guitar solo that's like really dreamy and floaty and it went super well with the airplanes flying. And I remember even at that age just being like, oh my goodness, like if you put the right sound with the right visual, it's create something completely new and so I had that in the back of my mind already and then once you know you get to do something like that with skateboarding something you're already like really engrossed with and have the ability to shoot and it just opened up all the doors you know I mean I grew up at the era where you know, power videos and they were like already like really creative in, in one way and then you had you know blind video and things like that which were really raw and DIY and it was like oh okay you can just do it yourself you don't need any gear you just need a camcorder and, and a willing group of people to be going out and doing it with you know mm -hmm. so um so yeah that got me really sparked and 
I wouldn't say I definitely had like a style or anything about it then. I was just trying to figure out how to do it still, I'd say. Um, that kind of stuff doesn't really form till way, way later, I don't think. But yeah, for the first few years, I was just uh, having a go and seeing what was up. Was it um, challenging for you to decide when to skate and when to film? Like, especially early on when you were still like being on the team sponsored and all that stuff, but then people wanted to film some stuff and you're kind of like, well, I'm skating, mate, or whatever. Yeah, yeah, no, it was definitely some, depending on the spot, you know, sometimes you'd be like, oh, I'm in the zone, and then you're like, well, I kind of, my responsibility is also to film, you know, that was a weird dual purpose for, um, for myself. But I mean, I also knew like, I definitely was never one of the better skaters. And there was always better skaters around me. So it always was pretty obvious when it was time to film, okay. you know, like, unless the spot was like, particularly like, oh, I, I had something like special for it. It was always like, well, these guys are going to do something better. So I, I should really film them, you know, sure. and that, that's when it became obvious. And that also was pretty much in sync with the me um what do you call it having a lot of back injuries and kind of putting me behind the camera just because i wasn't able to skate like i wanted to or could you know like i should mm. be if i'm sponsored so um and i remember towards the end having conversations with people at etnies and being like you know i should just go on the trips just as a fo I, I i shouldn't be in the demos i shouldn't be in the contests or you know like i'm not as good as these guys you know and they're like, oh, no, no, you're good, you're fine, you know, just get it, yeah. It's like, no, nah, dude, like, <laughs> I don't feel comfortable here. Like, I'm, I should, um, I'm down to film, that's, that's where I feel more comfortable now. So, huh. yeah, that was a, a weird time. Does anything stick out to you? I mean, I know you've filmed so much fucking shit, but is there any of something that sticks out to you, like one of the gnarlier, craziest things you've filmed or been there for, like... Uh, Strubing told me, like, dude, I gotta say, Schaefer at the loop, like, that was insane, you know, like, stuff like that. I seen Danny Way jump off the fucking uh, Hard Rock Cafe uh, fucking yeah, I mean, guitar, that, like, uh, yeah. you know, that what kind of shit have you you've seen? A lot of crazy stuff. Yeah, those death defying thing moments where people are like actually like risking their lives, they're, they're pretty hairy to film, you know? Um, I mean, one that comes to mind for sure is. Heath Kirchart Mega Ramp 360. That was definitely like, you know, he was pushing it. It was the deadline. There was a lot going on for that. Um, at Bob's, right? At Bob's, yeah. And, you know, <sighs> Heath's obviously like trying new shit. It's not his comfort zone. He's not on a giant hubber or something like that. He's obviously got some great transition skills. He always has, but anyone stepping to the mega ramp, anyone, even if you've been a vert skater or you're like, whatever, like, it's such a different thing. Like, I cannot even express that enough to people. Like, unless you see it in real life with your eyes physically, like, yeah, it's one thing on a screen, you see some guy flying through the frame, like, yeah, big deal. Like, when you walk up to those structures and you see this, the scale and <laughs> the horror, the shim, you know, they're no joke. And yeah. he, wor he worked for it really hard, you know? Like, that was a pure battle. Um, yeah, that one was, that one was epic. Um, I mean, we, he, he, Tried it on a Friday. He didn't have a tow, to, a, a cart to tow him back up to the top of the hill. So he'd walk up. Oh, and man. And He's a he was, warrior. Yeah, absolute warrior. He was skating solo. Me and my buddy Jeff Henderson filming. Um, Swift was shooting. And uh, Kevin Wilkins was there. And he 
He basically got four tries within an hour because it took that long to hike back up, catch a breath, you know, get your shit together, psyched up and go for it, you know? <sighs> and starting at 10 in the morning, he got through two giant, giant bottles of water, exhausted himself, no food, and was just done, you know, like roasted himself. And then he put one down just shy of 360, like maybe like sort of 370 or a little, little early and came with such impact that he's, um, his tr uh, hanger ripped through the, the base plate, like the pivot cup ripped a hole in it sideways oh, and, and broke, broke his truck just from like under rotating. So, you know, he's got these crazy trucks. He's, uh, Kevin and those guys started helping, like, you know, separating the truck and getting him a new base plate from his board. He's just like passing out from the sun and just no food. So by the time they got the board set up again, he was just like, I can't go, I can't do this, you know? And the video was due for being sent to master like that Monday. This is on a Friday. That Monday, the master was supposed to go out. Oh, you might have lost me. <laughs> How's that? Can you hear me? Yes. yes. Alrighty. Um, so yeah. You can see those adrenaline boards too. Yeah. An, oh, damn. It's the whole set. Nice. Yeah, I've been putting a few boards. I just moved in with my fiance this year, and uh, she gave me one uh, <laughs> little <laughs> section of wall. <laughs> I'm like putting it in Photoshop and like making sure it's how I want it before oh, really? I approach You're it. Really? It out, huh? Damn. <laughs> That's pro. I like it. That's, that's grown up yeah. stuff. Yeah, it's, it's, it's rewarding. Um, so you were talking about Heath doing the, the Bob's um, 360. Yeah, so basically the first day was just exhausting. He had no food. He ran out of all his water. Only got a few tries every hour because of how long it took to hike back up the hill. And eventually when he broke his base plate, under rotating, just like came in too hard, it kind of like ruined the day for him. He was done, you know. Um, so the way the video was structured, he wanted, for some reason, he wanted his part not as part of the rest of the video. He wanted it as like an Easter egg in the DVD. Don't know why, it's just Heath, that's just Heath, you know, he just wanted it as something different. So I'm like, okay, fine. And I was editing Heath's part. Mine was finishing the main body of the video as one big file. So I was going to insert my file, like basically, technically, John wasn't going to have to see Heath's part when it was all said and done. So... <sighs> We went back on the Monday to get one last go in. I talked to Bob and he arranged for a guy to give us a ride up the hill, up and down, so he could get more tries every hour. And obviously he'd had a go at it already, so he'd had a little bit of a... got his head around it. And so when he came on the Monday, much better result, got right into it, nailed it. And once he made it, he just, we all kind of just decided we weren't going to tell Minor. And we kept it secret from him. We just told him, like, yeah, it didn't work out. He got tired, you know, threw in the towel, done, you know. And we were hoping that it was going to be at the premiere that Miner actually saw the video with the trick in it. But it was almost there. It was up until the night before the premiere when he did a sound check at the theater and he saw it. And I got a text, like, oh, man, you guys, like... But we almost got it. I don't know. I just figured a project that he'd been so involved in from start to finish, it would be nice to give him a surprise, you know? like Yeah, when, how cool. Yeah, yeah. But uh, and that was one of the gnarliest things I think I've ever filmed. Um, I mean, yeah, it's, over the years, there's countless times where I've been like terrified for people. Some of the stuff Chris Sen did back in the day, you know? Um, oh, yeah. 
just you know just hairball things that you Cardiel doing that 360 and Marseille like transfer with a broken board like things like that where you're just like how is this even possible you know and just in the moment things happen you know did you film that one I filmed it for four and one or whatever you know everyone was filming that that wasn't like a special shoot or anything but it's just one of those things where when it goes down you're like how is this guy not dying right now you know what I mean you're like just no nothing makes sense in those moments and people just like you know, they just transcend and push things to a new level. It's epic. It's crazy that we've got to see this like from the sidelines over the years, you know, like and I'm still going out with dudes like I'm filming with Chris Jocelyn, people like that. Just the other day I went for a bike ride around LA and I I live right in downtown. I see Niger filming with Ty and they did the most insane line, just like filming with drones and the they had like permits and stuff. I think it's like a big Nike shoot and stuff like that. But I'm just like oh, okay. even without like trying i'm stumbling on like some of the craziest skateboarding i've ever seen in my life you know it's um it's just it's a trip to me that i'm still like getting to be a witness to it yeah for sure do you get nervous at all or butterflies when you're going to film something that you know is extra important or crazy like i can't fuck this up feeling or have you just done it so much that it's natural or uh you get a certain sense of nerves for sure like you know it's but it, my whole thing is just try and be prepared. Like I, I spend a lot of time, usually the, even the night before, just getting my gear together. And I tend to film with more than one camera just in case, you know. So I'll have le at least one camera locked off as a full backup. And then quite often I'll give a camera to somebody else. So just, you know, just trying to cover my ass in multiple ways. And uh, obviously the bigger and more dangerous it is, the less uh, risky you get with the filming. You just want to kind of capture the matter of fact you know you don't have to get like crazy with the filming too often if it's that impressive already you yeah, know let just, that speak for itself exactly yeah but you know obviously the level of people skating these days like you know sometimes you want to push the filming as well and you know try and make that as a wow factor just like i was saying the other day i've seen the line of niger did was epic but the thing that's going to really make it epic is the way it was filmed and when you see it it's like a you know, it's it's mind blowing to sort of see the two come together. So where where it's possible, I try and push things, and you know, luckily I get to work with skaters that are that good. You know, like Chris Jocelyn's like he'll he's like really really gnarly, and that like he's okay with me trying some weird stuff, whether it's with a drone sometimes or just like running around with a gimbal. But I'll only do that kind of stuff if I know that there's like one or two other backup plans that are like shooting as well and. If I happen to whatever goes wrong, it's not all reliant on me, and we've got some other options, you know. Because these yeah. guys, I don't, I don't want to make no one do anything dangerous twice, you know. That's yeah. that's no fun at all. Oh, I know that. Um, what is it like? Do you have any suggestions or tips for people traveling? Like what? You know, the camera guy's always got the most gear. Uh, he's got he's got to try to figure out how to bring as much camera gear as he can and also bring what everyone else is bringing, a change of underwear, some socks, whatever it is. Uh, do you tend to travel differently um, when you're in a plane with your gear than you would, like, coming up to SF in your car, obviously? Sure. You could pack everything in. Yeah, I mean, I... Compared to your average skate, not, not average, but compared to most skate filmers, I bring I think probably a little bit more gear than I need to. You know, mm. um, I don't know why I do. I, maybe I just like to have a bad back carrying a lot of stuff. But um, 
yeah, I tend, you know, obviously when, when you're on planes, there's certain restrictions and I have like a little scale. I have to weigh all my bags before and make sure that I get the right size bags so nothing's over the limits and that kind of thing. And certain restrictions with batteries and things like that, you know, so, um, and you know, like my whole camera setup is very much geared around trying to be as light and nimble as possible while pushing the quality, quality boundaries, you know, um, like it, yeah, it's. Different different circumstances require different things, I guess. And uh, yeah, yeah, I, I bring. I think everyone who films with me probably would agree. I bring a little bit too much stuff, but you know, an extra bag mm. or two just in case. And I've got like everything I need, whether it's a second or third camera angle, or you know, this bit of gimbal or that, you know, whatever it is. I don't know. Uh, I, I, I regret sometimes, sometimes I wish I just had like a backpack, a wide lens and a camera with a zoom, like a more camcorder setup, but because um, I, yeah. see, I see the benefits of that. There's a whole, you know, the whole side of skating that's way more spontaneous and sometimes when I'm setting up my special shots, I'm missing some of the more live and intimate action, you know, which, so I, if I can, if there's other filmers around, I try and like, hey, can you shoot some of this stuff while I'm getting this together, you know, because, um, yeah, I, I do see a difference in that. I see, like, I have a lot of respect for filmers who, like, just run the more nimble setup and they get, like, this whole different, um, they just capture more of, uh, more of the moment, I feel like, sometimes, you know? Whereas, mm. you know, it's a different style. <coughs> Excuse me. Yeah, have you ever checked uh, your camera? Checked it in on a plane? Nah, never do that. Nah. Exactly. I know I'm not going to say any names, but a couple guys... And they know who they are. They check their camera, and I'm like, dude, I cannot wait for your bags to get lost. And it, oh, I was gonna say, and it didn't. It came back okay. My goodness, that sounds. Uh... Yeah, he's like, oh, I got a hard case. I was like, that does not matter. No. Nah. Uh, and but if, that's kind of the anxiety I get with traveling um, in by airplane. Is like, I I need to get on the plane first. I need to make sure there's overhead. Like yeah. I got my shit. Like I can't, this won't fit between my legs. Like, no, you know, that yeah. kind of stuff. Yeah. It's, uh, I don't know. Not to be like, Oh, it's so hard, but it really is kind of hard. Like there's a lot, lot of yeah. gear you got to bring. And, uh, yeah, but it's worth it. You know, it's, um, like I, I'm always like, oh, I'm bringing too much stuff, but then I'll be like in some remote place, and I'm like, ah, oh, but I got just the thing for this, you know, and it'll like it'll work out. And I'm like, well, I'm glad I brought this with me, you know. So, I don't yeah. know. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff. And uh, just talk a little bit about um, you, what you were talking about as far as um, pushing quality versus pushing mobility and being able to film. Like, are you a do you think that the red cam is necessary for skateboarding or is it overkill or, it, you I mean, know? I've shot with red cameras before for projects and I love the way they look and the way they feel, they're great, you know, but for the investment for me and what, what I'm doing day to day, I, you know, I, it doesn't, doesn't work for me, but I see other people do it and it works for them, you know. It's mm. almost like I'd rather have like three smaller cameras with lenses already set up on them, so I'm not changing lenses in the field and everything's ready to go, kind of. But then they've also got the advantage of like one body, a few lenses. It's like, a, you know, just different strokes for different folks, you know? Like, it's <laughs> at the end of the day, it's what's happening in the frame, you know? Like, the camera gear, you can shoot stuff on your phone and make it look epic too, you know? It's, uh, it's those lines are being blurred. Um, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. 
my vibe is I don't want to bum out the skater. And so many times I hear these guys going, dude, the guy had to fucking set up for so long yeah. that I was kind of over it. And no, I never, I, I'm sure, I've, I'm sure people will say that about me too. Cause I'm, I try, I, but I try and have, I know my gear takes a long time to set up. So I try and have like each, like a gimbal's ready to go. The long lens is already on a body. I just have to throw it on a tripod, you know? And, Right. I, and if anyone's seen me filming, they they know I'm usually like sprinting back and forth between cameras. I, I wear a giant bum bag around with full of batteries, so I don't have to leave. I can always switch a battery out. I'm very yeah. conscious of the fact that I don't want to be the reason that anyone is waiting any longer, because those precious moments could be when the cops come or whoever. You know what I mean? Like absolutely. Or just like you said, the the, the wind changes and their vibe's gone. You know, there's this moment you got to capture and. It's like a, almost like paparazzi, like a journalism kind of thing. You've got to be like ready to like pull out and draw, quick draw McGraw. And uh, yeah, but then, you know, like I said, the, the guys I work with are so talented. They Rarely are they like hot-headed, like, oh, I've got to go now, now, now. You know, they, they usually like give me a heads up and I'm like moving fast and they appreciate right. that. And hopefully we meet, yeah. meet in the middle, but I... Sure. I I know there's times where you just got to whip it out and pull the trigger and not fuck around with a bunch of gear. You know, there's there's different times for that, for sure. And what about the uh, game of drones? Do we like the drone? Game of drones. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because I actually, uh, I used to talk, not talk shit, but I used to really just like not be into drones at all. I thought it was such a cliche and it just seemed like everyone was just kind of, would do the same shot pretty much, you know? It was like, well, why would you go all that trouble just to shoot exactly the same thing but for uh, some shoots we would do whether it was the art director or somebody would like be like oh we want a drone shot for this so i'd be like all right i can arrange that and we'd hire a guy and they'd do a good job and everything but it, i'd always feel like this I, like like a frustration like just just give me the remote i you know, I, I explain what i want from the shot and it would never be quite right you know and you'd and then the quality of the gear got more reliable and, you know, not, not as sketchy, I guess. Is it? I, I, I was always nervous that these things would fall out of the sky. So um, yeah. basically, once I started trying it, I fell in love with it and I changed my tune pretty hard. And I know it's like not for most situations because, you know, it just doesn't, skating's happening on the ground. You know what I mean? It's like down here, it's not up there. But the fact that you have this other option to put a camera, like literally like, anywhere around you and quite often with skating stuff i'll film the skate you know with the drone like pretty close to the ground even you know like only like a little higher than a tall ladder might be sometimes you know what i mean and just have that like swooping over or whatever but um you know they're noisy that they're, they're kind of interfering they're not really legal in a lot of situations you know and you're already doing something sketchy so there's no need to wave a noisy buzzing flag above you say hey everyone come here the sessions <laughs> come and kick us out you know so i, I try yeah. and i try and balance it out um but yeah the, i i can't deny it i used to be a hater and now i'm like hey these things are pretty freaking fun you know like ah yeah uh, i remember but, but wanting to throw to, a ball at them yeah i mean <laughs> I've had arguments with people flying over my house. Just like I, I understand why people are, feel they're intrusive, invasive, and downright annoying. Basically, I get that. I, I am that guy too. But at the same time, I'm like, well, if you play it smart and you know do it right and pick your moments, it can actually be a, an amazing tool. Like the, the fact that we have access to that for like really quite reasonable money and it's like relatively safe and 
you know, unless you're an idiot with it and flying it in stupid places up in people's faces, then yeah, that's no good. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm into them. They're cool. I, I like them too. I, it's like a remote control. It's just such a fun thing. Like I haven't filmed that much skating with them, but I love flying around and getting like, I don't know, like you said, you can get in positions. There's no other way yeah. that you could so and, and I yeah, see both I, sides of it too. I, I challenge anyone who doesn't like them to try one out for a day and tell me afterwards that it wasn't at least a little bit of fun. You know, like <laughs> yeah. it's a, you can't say they aren't a little bit of fun. You know. So anyway, for sure. Have you ever been threatened or or robbed with your gear? Have you ever been like some? Too many times. Yeah. Um, oh yeah. Yeah yeah yeah. And uh, like with guns. Uh. Guns in Peru, a machete in Birmingham in England. Um, oh, shit. Yeah. One of the first times I had a 4-in-1 video mag sent over a camera to the UK, and I was filming with that. And these two kids came up to me and my buddy Jagger in a parking lot, an underground parking lot. And they, I'd seen them walk by a little while earlier, and then when they came back, he had a big puffy coat, and he whipped out a pretty big machete blade and came running at me. And I was just putting the camera in the bag, trying to like pack up, and I see him, and so I just sprinted away. Didn't get very far. I was trying to like jump through these holes in the wall that would like lead out to the pathway, but I stumbled, I fell, camera fell out. The dude jumps on top of me, he's sitting on me while I'm laying down, and was like struggling over the camera, and I look at him and I, I started pissing myself, because he was like waving the knife and his eyes looked psycho. And I just like wet my pants and I, was, I said to him, I was like, I'm pissing myself now because he was like sat on me where my, where, basically you're going to get wet, dude, you know? And so he jumped up like, ew, you know? <laughs> and, and I get up and he's got the camera. And at the time, the tape was my tape. Basically, whenever anyone filmed me, I put one tape in and so it accumulated a couple of months of footage. I didn't have a computer or anything to put the footage anyway. It was just all on one tape. And oh. so this was my tape, and I'm like, hey, can I get the tape out? You can have the camera, but can I get my tape? And he thought about it for a second, tried to look for the button, and when I sort of pointed out, like, it's the blue eject button, he, like, freaked and swiped with his blade and then just took off running with the camera and the tape. So that no. was, yeah, that was the first time, and then... So you lost all that footage? Yeah, I was bummed, man. That was some, like... Stuff that hurt. Oh. That's stuff that hurt to me, you know, like some stuff. Fuck, that, yeah, it's like, yeah. Uh, fuck. So that was that, and then but I was safe. And four and one was nice about it. They just sent me another camera, which actually got stolen in Europe at a contest, which they were nice about and sent me another camera. But um, fast forward, I'm in Peru many years later on an S trip with Scuba and Rodrigo and a bunch of guys, and. Um, We've been through South America, we've been through Panama, Costa Rica, uh, Colombia, and the last stop was Peru. And the whole time on the trip, everyone had been telling us, like, be careful, you know, like, people will come and rob you, like, if you're out in the street with your gear. And the, the thing they said was, watch out for a guy on a scooter, they'll scoot up, you know, you know a little mo moped, motorbike, and uh, point a gun at you, grab your gear, and whip off. And we even had a, a policeman, like, see us at a spot once, I think this was in uh, Costa Rica, and the policeman was like, why are you filming with all your cameras here? And he just pulled up at the roundabout next to the spot and just parked his motorbike and basically guarded us while we skated, and so we didn't get robbed. And then once we got the tricks, oh. like we were out of there. So we were conscious of being robbed, 
Anyway, last few days of the trip, we're in Lima, Peru, skating the spot that didn't seem like a sketchy neighborhood whatsoever, and I'm sitting on a curb shooting long lens across the street, scuba's over the street with the guys, Oliver Barton's a few feet, to the, 20 feet to my left, just shooting long lens photos, and a guy comes up behind me, grabs my cam camera out of my hand, and I just naturally resist and hold it back, and he kind of like wraps around in front of me and puts the gun straight in my face. And so when I saw that, I just let go and I screamed. I went like, Wah! like a little girl. I went, Wah! and I just like flipped on the ground and put my face to the ground. And I see him like running towards Oliver and his getaway car was right there to pick him up. Oliver's camera was on the floor because Oliver was just putting a shirt on. And the guy went to grab Oliver's camera. Oliver didn't realize I just got robbed and instinctively tried to grab his own camera and the guy shot a couple of shots in Oliver's like pow pow towards Oliver and jumped in the car and got away with my camera and Oliver's camera all in like 10 seconds so uh, yeah we did you guys lose footage on that too or had you had it backed up into computers or thankfully that was uh, you know a bit more modern times and every day I was backing up the footage so it was literally like maybe a couple of hours of footage from that day you know yeah maybe okay. a trick or, trick or two had gone down I can't even remember but um, yeah nothing that's the thing with cameras getting stolen is it sucks the cameras are super expensive but like you would gladly lose the camera over lose the footage exactly i mean the yeah. things people go through to get these tricks and you know you spend all this effort and dodging security or whatever it is to make it happen and then you know someone goes and robs you of it like no way yeah cameras are definitely you can replace, replace them. them yeah so yeah yeah so that, it's it's happened you gotta watch out but you know it happens everywhere like you gotta keep your eye out Okay, we we're winding down. We just got a few more. I could talk to you forever, but I, know, uh, I, I feel know. like I've been rambling so hard. I'm so bad. At I love it, dude. Okay. Your stories are amazing. It's great catching up too. Cool. Um, cool. What's the best part of filming BMX? Oh, the, the, well, first, first of all, they just do the gnarliest shit. You know, it's basically the same as filming skateboarding, but they do some of the craziest stuff. When you actually, when you asked earlier what some of the gnarliest things I've ever filmed, I was going to bring up a BMX trick because, it, you know, some of the stuff that I've filmed those guys has been m some of the more terrifying things I've ever witnessed in my life, you know, and they go fast and high and long and it's just, yeah, I mean, I used to ride BMX before I skated when I was a little kid and so I have a you know, deep passion for it and an understanding for it and, you know, just basically they just go through the same thing as skaters do but just on, on, sure. two, on two wheels, not four, but, and those two wheels, the dimensions and everything about it just, and tires and it just opens up a whole different world of spots so it's like, you know, it's almost like you, you know, when you're seeing uh, when you're a skater and if you could just like pave everything concrete and make it skatable it's like that you know like think not that those guys ride on grass so much there's a weird etiquette to when like if they're street riders they won't like hit a spot on grass or landing on grass is like a no-no which i kind of don't understand but okay um Whoa. yeah there's a lot of yeah, a lot of strict etiquette in bmx just like skating you know so 
I think it's, yeah, uh, if you're landing grass, it has to be like really worth it, you know? Like it has to be like, I can count, like a giant gap, gap, massive gap off a roof into a grass hill or something where it's like, all right, that's insane, you know? But t typically <laughs> landing in grass, I don't know, it's just not cool. Unless you're actually riding, unless you're technically riding dirt, which again is a whole nother thing. Like you go to a, a, a real trail run, where it's in the woods, the dudes have DIY'd it, like literally sculpted like the dirt, like clay into a skate park where there's a succession of basically spine ramp jumps launching you through the forest. That is one of the most magical things I think I've ever experienced to film. Like there's a place in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania called Posh. It's kind of a secret hardcore um, per trail scene, I guess you'd say. It's a little bit like pool skating in that, you know, you, you, pay, you put the work in to dig out the pool and find the pool and find the spots, you know, like not anyone can just show up and ride, you know what I mean? You have to like be uh -huh. a little bit in on the scene and help out and contribute. But they make these wonderlands and, and just seeing people like learning to ride those places off the fly, it's like, imagine going to like a really gnarly skate park where the only line is just gnarly transfer after gnarly transfer after gnarly transfer with no decks, you know, so you have to like make each one. And the only way to learn it is just to follow a local and, and pump. It's, I don't even understand it. You know what I mean? That's it's, what I don't get. I see this shit and I'm like, what is step one to getting yeah, to that? What's like, the it's there's like no all room or for nothing. error. There's no room yeah. for error. You just, and you're on it. And if you fucking fall on those things, you got like all kinds of metal wrapped into you. You know, it's like, it's no joke. You don't just kick away and feel things out like you can with skating. You know, it's like... Yeah. In street skating, I guess you'd say like, yeah, you just show up a spot and jump like a bunch of 20 stairs in a row, like back to back and just make them, you know, or, Fuck. or like, you know, like a skate park where it's just like, you know, gnarly spine transfer to spine transfer back to back. Like first try, you got to just make it through the whole run. Like, I don't, right. I don't get it. And yeah, it just looks fun, man. It just looks like a lot of fun. And the dudes that I film are super cool. Like, Legends like Ruben Alcantara, you know, like people who have just like pushed the boundaries of their sport forever to like Chase Hawk, like some of the younger guys and mm. you know, Devin Smile, like Etnies, when I worked for those guys over the years, they've had like one of the most prestigious BMX teams ever. So I luckily had like a foot in the door at the top and anyone I got to travel with and film was just like next level good, you know, so yeah, mm. shooting BMX has always been like a really, really top notch experience for me. What's a really cool video you could suggest for somebody that wants to really be impressed by it? I, I don't know any of the BMX videos, really. I mean, the videos we made was... <laughs> no. Um, huh? Well, if I mean, the Anthony's videos, just because they had, like, a really pretty prestigious team, you know. Um, the last one was called Chapters. The one before that was called Grounded. And the first okay. one was called Forward. But there's an OG video... Uh, yeah, no, there's an OG video that this guy Dave Parrick made called Nowhere Fast that was really, really sick. Like, dudes are skating like UCI or riding UCI and stuff like that, like gnarly, like OG riding. Um, mm. And then there's a, I can't remember the name of the video, but there's this dude called BSD and they, they do like gnarly, gnarly videos too. Like, they, uh, there's a lot of really sick stuff going on in BMX. I only know the tip of the iceberg and like I said, my foot in the door is through the Etnies dudes. 
And right. just from what I see through those guys, I'm all I'm just floored. But um, is the hardest part kind of um, like in skateboarding? You want to follow film a lot, but in biking, it would probably be more challenging. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty hard to keep up with those guys. I've tried, you know, certain spots, you know, certain street riding I can do, but like when the guys are going fast, fast, it's there's I I can't really keep up skating with them. You know, um, you know they're just flooring it. I've tried to film on a bike a few times and that kind of works, but riding one-handed and trying to film stables is pretty difficult. So uh, I guess if you're a good drone flyer, maybe you could follow them. Yeah, or I don't know. Yeah, I've done some of that with those guys before, especially some trail runs and stuff through the trees. Oh, epic. dude, Star Wars style. Exactly, <laughs> yeah. That's sick. Yeah, yeah, no, it's... Um, that's the thing it's like it's the same as skating but just like different just different enough to be exciting you know what i mean like it's uh, uh yeah and like i said the dudes that i ride with i mean they're they're so cool they're so and i think as well i i always got the impression that they were really appreciative that i was like helping out with their video stuff because i think bmxers have a lot of respect for what the skate culture has brought to the table like these mm. guys are real nerds about like skate videos and stuff like that. Like they get a lot of inspiration from skateboarding clearly, and you know, yeah, they, they, I think they just really. I always felt like they appreciated that I was down to film with those guys, and I was like always like hell yeah, man! Like anytime, you know. So, mm. uh, what's the coolest thing that you've done outside of BMX and skating with your camera? Um. I, I was lucky enough to film a couple of music videos that were cool. Like I did one for Dinosaur Junior and one for Pixies. They, they were cool projects to be involved. Oh, in. you did a Pixies one too? Yeah, yeah, that was sick. I don't know about that one. You did Dinosaur Junior over it, right? Where they're uh, he's skating around and they're on their bikes and yeah, stuff. That exactly. was so sick. That one actually, uh, the Dinosaur Junior one stemmed from the BMX video we did for Etnies called Grounded. The guy I worked with on that. Um, he was approached by the director of the video and he passed it over to me because he wasn't available and he was like, I work with Mike on this, you know, he's down, you know, skating and stuff. And so we got Kyle Leeper to be the stunt double for Jay Maskus and that and uh, a couple of friends who ride BMX for that um, came as the stunt doubles for uh, Lou and um, Murph and uh, yeah, it was, um, it was really really fun experience definitely like fly by the seat of your pants like zero budget just jump in the tour bus film oh. uh, film on the road find spots near the venue just like squeeze it in in between them like sound checks and you know like, oh you did it on their tour yeah yeah literally like me and kyle had to sleep on the tour bus and just like see how things worked and that was quite an eye-opener because you know you think like bands travel like you know, you think they they got this big rock star bus and it's it's like this pimped out scene or whatever, but it's like they they travel really modestly. They get like one hotel room to share a shower and like they sleep on the bus, travel overnight, set up. Are those guys in the same car? Like, isn't Lou and Jay not super? They don't like th each other. No, super everyone much? everyone was all in the same bus, getting on fine. I think that little beef was history or whatever by the time oh, okay. I was involved anyway. And uh, yeah. So Jay had the room at the back. We were all stacked up in bunks in the middle. And it was just Dude, like, you know. that's kind of epic, though. Yeah, You're man. a huge Dinosaur Junior fan, right? Like, I mean, you love them. Yeah, it was a huge opportunity. And it came at the worst time. And I really, like, kind of shouldn't do it, shouldn't have done it. But because I wanted to do it. And if I hadn't have done it, I was like, ah, oh, who's, you know. 
I don't know, I just wanted to I just wanted to get my hands on a fun project like that and so I squeezed it in, jammed out there last minute. And actually when I, I tell the story before, but when I arrived, the manager was like, Yeah, they don't want to shoot a video. They don't like shooting videos. You're gonna be on the bus with them. They don't want you on the bus. So you and I was like, Why am I here? you know? He was just being straight up. This guy Brian Schwartz, the manager, super rad dude. But he's like ah. Me and the director, the director's from England, this guy Mark Locke, we just arrived on the plane, we're driving to meet them, and he's just like, yeah, they're not into it, but you're gonna have to deal with, that's what you're gonna have to deal with. And he's like, Jay seems like he's like far away or he's on drugs, that's just how he is. He's just not, a, he's just, he's just like, that's, you know, don't take it personally, these guys are gonna think you're space invading. And I just wanted to hit eject. I was like, get me the fuck out of here then. Why am I, I was supposed to be doing something else right now, you know? Anyway, yeah. so me and Kyle we were like pretty conscious of like being in these guys' personal space. So we tried to give them space the first night and the first day we actually went shooting, I think the band just had this like whole eye opener that it wasn't like a typical music video production with a bunch of crew and slow and you know, just me and a camcorder. The concept was fun because there was like stunt doubling and it was very tongue-in-cheek humor. It wasn't supposed to be serious at all. So they, right. li they liked that aspect of it. And they said normally the, the time that we spent shooting, they'd just be like killing time waiting to do the sound check while the guys set up or whatever. So they were happy to get off the bus and just cruise around and be in fresh air, riding bikes, skating. Mm. And uh, I think we won them over. Like, we, you know, they saw a couple of the shots and how they were going to match up. We were like, oh, okay, this is the roll-in of you. And then it's going to cut to Kyle doing the trick and cut back to you. And they got it and they were all on board and we had a great old time the next few days. Ah, nice. Yeah, so it was... And Jay rolls around, he knows how to skate. Oh yeah, yeah, he can, he can yeah. do the Daffy Duck and push around comfortably, you know what I mean? Like he's not trying to uh -huh. kickflip or whatever, but like, yeah, he, he can roll and cruise and yeah, Lou and Murph oh, cool. were stoked to just be on bikes and stuff. Yeah, it was a really fun experience. And it was also interesting because the tour was through like tiny little towns and small venues, so it was like really off the beaten path, and yeah, it was it was fun, you know. What uh, camera did you use on that one? That was back when we were just using the Panasonic. Um, I think it was the HCX one seventy at the time, you know. The, oh, yeah, the, P the old uh, P two cards. So that was really uh, ha handy because it was like an all in one camera, very versatile for just like absolute run and gun because that was it just like show up and shoot you know we had little kids I'd, the way i found spots i'd look on google earth and see where the venue was and then see what was on the map radius of it within like because we didn't have a vehicle we just had the tour bus so where we stopped was like that was our base and so we found we shot everything within a radius of the the venue and then i would hit up uh skate shops and ask them for directions to spots and a couple of times skate shops would send out a kid like you know like a 16 year old skater who'd drive us to spots and stuff like that and it was yeah it was just a weird like improvised scene you know at one point the kid leaves us behind the supermarket at this bank to wall and is like i gotta go babysit my sister someone else is gonna come and pick you guys up and like we were the band and stuff you know what i mean it's just like weird like yeah so yeah huh. but we got it done well, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's a cool one. Uh, what about um, true or false? You went to George Harrison's house with Tony Hawk. True. What was that? What was all that all about? <laughs> that was um, that first 
Bones Brigade tour that I mentioned earlier and the very first demo was at this ramp near London that I knew pretty good and so we hit the demo. I guess the Bones Brigade had had a visit from um, the Harrisons the year before where they met Mike McGill and Cab and those guys. So they showed up and were like, hey, what's up guys, is McGill here? And we were like, no, who are you? Well, I was just in the back, but those guys were like, no, who are you? And she's like, I'm Olivia, this is, this is Danny, the son. You know, come back to our house and, you know, come party. I think she said, come party. I was like, all right, it's kind of weird, like a mum and a kid, like, come party. But she just meant come hang out, you know? And we didn't know what was going on. I have this, like, terrifying first demo with these guys. I'm, like, shaking the whole time. Next thing I know, afterwards, we're, like, driving into the countryside. We end up in Henley-on-Thames, this, like, kind of a nicer countryside town. And these gates open up to this manor house. And it's like a giant park, you know? And we're driving through, and there's this, you know, crazy old house that's, like, they bought back in the 60s and, you know, did it all up and got to meet George. They gave, Danny gave us a tour around the house. Oh, whoa, Yeah, sick. and um, epic place. And uh, <clears throat> Tom Petty was there. What? <laughs> he, like, they were doing this recording for this... Um, the Traveling World Builders? Exactly, World yeah, the, the charity... Uh, band that those guys so they had you know Roy Orbison uh, Bob Dylan was supposed to show up the next day and mm -hmm. um, basically yeah we, I was starstruck to be with Tony and the Bones Brigade guys Lance and everybody and then they were starstruck to be in that situation so there was this like stepping stone of like awe <laughs> you know like everyone in awe of each other and it even yeah. went the other way around because at, at the dinner table like after we had a tour around the place we got to go in the recording studio in the top and like see all his guitars. There was like music laid out, ready, you know, sheets of music for the songs that they were recording and stuff. And they were so Incredible. open about everything. Like, yeah, cruise around, check it all out. And, and you know, they knew we were fascinated, obviously. And they were just such down to earth, sweet people, you know, just like, just like, yeah, come on in. And That's um, amazing. at one point we're having dinner. She, you know, Olivia cooked pizza for everyone from scratch. We're having dinner at this, huge oak table that looks like it's like medieval or something it's like a little castle we're in literally a castle and uh at one end tom petty and you know, george harrison are talking to the other end as tony hawk lance mountain and i'm in the middle just this little kid like kind of watching this te <laughs> tennis match of like you know super Fuck. superstars in their own realm just doing their thing and they were asking what it's like to be a pro skater and travel and you know they're sharing stories about what it's like to be a rock star and you know the fans and it was, yeah, it was that just was a, before tom petty had skateboarding in his video probably right i think he no i think he had i think free fall, oh. free falling he's talking free about fall. right yeah i'm pretty yeah. sure that was already out and about i, I want to uh, kelly rosecrans i think was in that one yeah i could be huh. wrong i could be wrong though but either way they were wow. super chill. But you were like 15 or something? How old were you? Uh, I want to say like 16 or 17 maybe. No more than 18. 16 or 17. Damn. Yeah. Do you have any photos from that? Yeah. Um, I posted some on Instagram. I'll send you them. They're pretty funny. Like, yeah. There's one wow, that Lance that's Mountain... That's amazing. Yeah, one that Lance Mountain gave me. He took... There's like a little like, well, large pond, small lake kind of thing with these rocks on it. And there's like a famous photo of George sitting on there with like, you know, his like meditating on these rocks anyway so we're out on there and 
there's a picture of me with the manor behind it and I just look, I, the smile couldn't be bigger on my face, like it's just like ripping my face wide open, my smile, and so couldn't believe I was there. Because my fans were, my, my parents were real big Beatles fans, so that was like, the magnitude of it was not lost on me. Like they were, you know, they played Beatles music when I was growing up. It was like, a, you know, a big deal, especially in England. You knew who the Beatles were, you know, so. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Had you been to Liverpool? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, Liverpool's a, rad. Yeah, it's a rad city. Tough town. Good skaters. I need to get out there. Uh, okay, a couple of things from my perspective I need help with, and then we're out of here. But uh, what are your feelings about the internet and the modern era skateboard videos um, with like the conveyor belt feeling of just like, there's less and less obviously full length videos and more and more like single parts, but those parts aren't lasting even as long as the full length videos used to. Uh, how do we stay motivated to put in the effort that it takes to put these out when they're not getting as much shine? Uh, yeah. All that kind of stuff. I mean, it's kind of relative though, you know? So. Yeah, there's a conveyor Things belt. Things are getting easier to make. <laughs> well, yeah, there's that. Uh, I mean, skaters are more and more consistent, you know, so they're getting their tricks quicker. So in that respect, the filmer editor's job's a little bit easier. Um, mm. You know, a, a full-length video part, I've seen them done in a month now, which isn't like a top-quality video. Jocelyn did his Welcome to Etnies part in three weeks. And that was like a solid part, you know? He's gnarly. Yeah, so I mean, obviously he's an extreme example, but like that's the kind of thing we're dealing with these days. So there's that. And yeah, there's an endless conveyor belt of media and good, you know, good parts coming and going, and it's hard to sort of like, you know, have anything that has like memorable traction. You know, like when we grew up, things were so few and far between that if it was of any quality that it really embedded in your mind, and you, yeah. had, you didn't have so much... Um, good footage coming at you so you would repeat view the same thing over and over and every right. detail about it from like the keychain he wore on his pants or like this, the weird thing he did with his shoes or like how he pushed and how he wore his hat the music all these details were like really really deeply absorbed by the viewer and the fan and I'm, I'm not sure kids get quite that they're not going to get that experience you know I don't see anyone repeat viewing anything more than a couple of times these days even the most shocking mind-blowing skateboarding does not get that repeat attention these days so mm -hmm. that's very very different but then you know the other um, argument could be that you, you you're measuring scale you know how, how do you measure it so back then the scene was overall smaller so you had less outlets to view skateboarding but the the amount of eyes on, on that fan or fanning out on that skater or that video part or that brand, that company, whatever it is, it was like a certain amount of people. And now I feel like you're still reaching that same amount of people, probably more, but you're just not reaching the other 50 million skaters out there. It's just that many more skaters out there, I feel like. So now there's like all these pocket scenes, you know, and you know. That's a good point. Does that make sense? Like. Totally. Like I, I, I'll hear about. There's more genres within itself, kind of, right? So many genres, so many layers. You know, like it's really amazing that anything goes. I was just having a conversation with someone recently about how strict the '90s were, and I was like, 
Yeah, it was. You know, everyone's got this cool nostalgia about the dope '90s and how progressive and epic it was for skating. But if anyone was there, it was kind of harsh. You know, like people made these weird rules about what you could and couldn't do, and how what was cool and what wasn't cool, what tricks were in and out, and it was awful in that respect. You know, I mean, mm. I felt it as someone who skated like every type of skating, and suddenly, like, I was literally told by sponsors, "Put your pads away, only street skate." And I'm like, why? What do you What do you mean? Like I like skating, but too, you know, like things like that was just weird to me, and even to the music and the culture. So the fact that these days skateboarding is like so open, more and more open-minded, more and more genres. Like the prime example is you'll see some new name you haven't heard of. You see it on Instagram. You like you click on them, like oh, who's this person? And you're like, oh my goodness, they've got ninety thousand fans and a whole world of people following them. You know what I mean? Like right. Just because I didn't see them doesn't mean that they don't exist and kill it and do their own thing in their world and are yeah. lo loving it. You know what I mean? Like it gives access to way more regions. You don't have to move to California anymore. Exactly. And I, you know, I'm happy I did. But like, if I grew up in this era now, I probably wouldn't have transplanted across the world. Like, I, you know, at the time it made sense for me, and I'm, you know, I've made a good life. I'm happy, but. You know, the fact that it's just that much more, I think it's just more democratic that the whole world can have a go and it's not so elitist about where you live and if you have access to certain brands or know the right guy and know the right photographer. Like, because, you know, that, that's what turned people off. I think, like my friend Curtis McCann from back in the day, he was like, oh, it's, it's so structured, you know, it's not as free and open as it's, it appears to be on from the outside. And, Thankfully, skating's matured in that way, at least, and that we've, you know, we're a lot more open-minded. And as long as you're down, having fun, and getting, you know, just getting down for the right reasons, everyone's like, "Yep, cool with me." You know, like you still need your grassos, and to people like that who like let you let you know what skateboarding supposed to mean, they're, they're still that. I'm not saying yeah. like it, it, it has to be like let go completely because there is a reason why we enforce these rules and, and we care. You know, like right. those things matter. I'm not saying those things don't matter, but I just mean like you can be open to new, you, sh you should be open to new things and seeing where it takes you. And you know, that's skating to me. Is there any fear that we should have um, losing Phelps and Grasso kind of close to each other, like having the guard let down for that kind of stuff? Like I know that when Jake died, I was obviously so much closer to Jake than Grasso, but. To me, my first, like, seriously, the first day that I knew Jake was dead, I was like, what does this mean for the mag? What does this mean for, like, such a bigger thing than just a good friend of mine that passed? Like, who the fuck is going to call out the clowns? And is this going to open the gate to all the kooks? Like, all that kind of stuff. Like, hate to sound like an elitist or anything no, like no, that, no, but, no. like, these things are important to our culture. These are the things that make skating sick. Yeah, like, yeah. yeah otherwise, it would be kook. I know what you mean. I mean... I, I, yeah, I don't know if there's anyone ready to like step up to those roles because those are two really, really unique people you're talking about right there. I think they broke the mold when they made them, you know, like these guys yeah. are super individual. But if you think about it, they have had decades of influence that I don't think is going to go away anytime soon. You know what I mean? Right. Like, I mean, you know, there's murals of the dudes and stuff like that, you know, where people just like, <laughs> I'm still watching or whatever, you know? So it's like, I, I, I think that, that you know what they've done has left enough of a mark that you know the it'll be a more of a community policing rather than one guy having to physically call you out whatever you know verbally call you out. It's just you know 
I think they did enough to make it last. But yeah, who's, if there's sure. somebody else steps up to it, I'm sure skateboarding will embrace it. I mean, you know, uh. think, think about how like crazy like Big Brother was back then. It was like so controversial. But you need you need somebody like throwing a wrench in the works or like spicing things up a little bit, you know, like calling things out or like just throwing a different perspective on things, whether you agree with it or not, you know, if everything is just too like samey and safe and playing by right. all the rules and it's like, well, what the fuck happens to skateboarding, you know? Like Yeah. And those are the things that drew us here. And those are the things that I I struggle with from time to time is like all right, what brought me to skateboarding is not what's the dominant thing in it anymore. And so, like, I don't want to be the stale, bitter old guy that can't acclimate to the times, but I also see, like, some shit I'm not happy with. And when I was a kid, the fucking last thing I ever wanted to say was back in my day or, like, <laughs> you guys, you know, I hated yeah, that yeah, shit. Yeah. And then you get older and you're like, I gotta bite my tongue because I want to say when I start you couldn't just come to the mag and ask for a t-shirt are you fucking crazy totally. like walking through the door was scary as hell <laughs> <laughs> yeah no it was uh, very very different I mean yeah it's times change man I don't know yeah, yeah. It's, you just gotta roll with it you, okay, I, I just the, you look down there's always gonna be those four wheels rattling underneath you and when you hit a rock, you still go down hard and it still feels the same. Like some, some stuff isn't going to change. You know what I mean? Like skating's the act of skateboarding is the act of skateboarding. And there's plenty of people doing that just right. And just keeping it real, you know, the others mm. that take it into these weird directions, they're, you know, they're more peripheral. They're not, you know, they, they'll come and they'll go. And th those are fashions, the trends, their waves, but yeah the, 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 the horrible word of the core is there's a reason why it's the core is because it's right in the middle and that'll that's not that's rooted that's not going nowhere you know uh that's a good point jake used to always say that he's like hey those guys might be the hot fucking recipe of the week but we were here before and we'll be here after like just wait them out don't worry yeah yeah uh, the other last thing too is one of the things I struggle with is I don't know how you feel about this, but like the equipment becoming cheaper, easier, more accessible. Uh, you know, a perfect example is you used to use film and not be able to see what you're doing when you're shooting a photo. Sure. Now you can totally shoot a hundred photos till you get the right one. That stuff is hard for a guy that grew up and paid a lot of money and like <laughs> dealt with like people telling you that your photos were all, always out of focus yeah. or whatever, like and going through all those, you know, learning curves. Uh, these are things that us older people, I think, like have a hard time. Again, you got to bite your tongue not to be like complaining or the old guy in the room. But like these things are real, you know? Yeah, I mean, again, like if you have a foundation in sort of like these these disciplines from the earlier formats where you did have to do things more manually, yeah, you might have a little bit better of an understanding about it. But um, I don't know, if people can make a shortcut to get to a same or better result, more power to them, I guess. I don't know, it's not my, my job to please them. It, it is weird, like you said, you're like, oh, wow, look how fast-tracked everything is. I mean... You can yeah. shoot something on your phone and two clicks with a filter and it looks like it was shot on Super 8 and normally you wouldn't, like I said, you wouldn't see that film back for like weeks, you know, and you weren't sure <laughs> if anything happened right. 
and now you're almost <laughs> trying to make it shitty and more grainy and more yeah. scratched and it, out of focus. You're like, all right. So yeah, yeah, it's um, it's it's, it's different times, but I, I like the democracy of it. I like the fact that you can just see a video from some kid in some country you've never heard of, maybe, and they shot it on their phone or a GoPro, and it's like, whoa, that's really creative. Or that, you know, look what they're doing over there. I think it's it's nice, you know, like I. Coming from somewhere far away myself, where I wasn't the center of where it was happening, and you know, any access or any opportunity is I see as a, a very valuable thing to people. So if, if more people around the world get to sort of have a taste of the fun we're having, you know, yeah, maybe it not, might not lead to some like career success or whatever. But if they're just having fun doing the thing that we think is sick too, then yeah, that's awesome, man. You know? Yeah, I can't imagine kids nowadays trying to be the next like guy in this world where it's like well what's different about you than those 500 people next to you i always feel like i want to try and like evolve and progress myself just to feel like i'm trying new things just like before when we we're setting up the audio or things like that where it's like any little detail i can learn that might help me down the line whether it's escape sure. projects or outside projects you know i'm I, know, I just try and take those opportunities if i can but yeah, I'm a nerd like that. <laughs> or I'm no, same. To, I, I, I feel like I'm trying to keep up with the nerds. I feel like everybody else is always like two steps ahead, and I'm like, all right, that's what's going on. Okay, well, you know. Yeah, I got these wizards around me that I'm like, dude, you get the, the younger guys. They pick up things so fast, and I'll be like, okay, I got it. Yeah, I got it. <laughs> yeah, I've had to teach classes before. Like there was a couple of times I did these, like yeah, like I was like the guest speaker in front of all these kids, and they were. 12 to 16 year olds and half the questions they had for me i was like dude i don't even know like you i'm gonna learn i introduced the talk with like i'm gonna learn from you probably more than you're gonna learn from me so let's have at it like let's open up let's make this a two-way you know because i don't know yeah kids are amazing nerds and they've got phones and computers that access the world of technology you know so totally. why, why not share i mean that's how i learned i remember when i arrived in the states i didn't know a damn thing about computers and stuff like that and it was you know, friends like John Holland, I'd call him up like, hey, how'd you do this in After Effects? I want to make this title do whatever, you know, like this, make this effect or whatever. And so, yeah, it's just, it's just good that um, everyone's so open to share because otherwise we'd never get anywhere. Absolutely. Yeah, that's what's great about our community. I hit up you and all the time. I'm like, dude, I'm trying to get this audio filter. Like, what do I do? It's like, oh, dude, you just do this. Yeah. It's good. Yeah. Uh, okay, well, fuck, like I said, I could talk to you all day. Uh, I've taken plenty of your time. Do you have any documentaries or film recommendations for us? We In these pandemic times, me and my fiance are watching a documentary every night, so I've been trying to get people's, uh, you know, like, have you seen the Crumb one or, like, whatever. Oh, man. Um, I'm Do you have time to watch TV or, or yeah, movies? Yeah, or are you yeah, especially right now, there's a little bit of extra time. I've been watching some stuff. Um uh what's good these days i mean it's been out for a while now but if, if you like political stuff the active measures one is pretty insightful active measure active measures oh i don't know that one yeah, it's it's worth checking look out it up. yeah it's on okay. apple tv and hulu and a few things like that a few platforms that one's just more of a political thing about kind of how we got to the state of where we're at right now um uh -huh. what else is a good one i watched recently uh did you know what I just watched? Uh, it was a movie. It was an Adam Sandler movie, and it's, it kind of threw me off. It really surprised me. It was... Um, oh, I saw that too, I think. Gen what the, they call the, it? Uh, Uncut Gems. 
Yeah, that was good. That was a gnarly movie. Like, I, I, it's way different than any of his other films. Well, you know when I don't know if you know when you start Netflix or you, you're going through Netflix and you leave it on something for a second and get distracted. The film just starts. So yeah. I was making a coffee. I turn around. I'm like, oh, what's going on here? And next thing I know, I just got drawn into it. I had no idea that it was going to take up two hours of my life. And it was that's a really intense ride. That I mean, it's you know pretty heavy, heavy film. There's a lot of aggressive stuff happens but it's uh yeah once you're in it you're like i can't not watch this like what's going to happen next and yeah. right to the very end so that was that was a pretty interesting one classic do uh, another classic documentary not classic but a good one that came out a few years ago i always recommend to friends is uh searching for sugar man you seen that one oh we did we yeah, saw that, that that's really nice. good it's, it's a, yeah. just a sweet story how it sort of turned out um i like that yep yeah i'm drawing a blank i'm drawn to so many dark ones we saw this one on netflix called uh operation odessa it's so good oh yeah it's in yeah it's insane like they steal from fucking uh the cartel they fucking have a summer it's so insane you're like what those stories like where it's just like this is the next level like yeah yeah because because skateboarders have fucking crazy lives and crazy stories so anything that can impress us is bonkers oh, yeah. right yeah it's yeah. like you know so that one is really good though the guy they're like the guy they're talking about, they're like, this guy, there's no way, everyone they interview, they're like, there's no way you're going to be able to interview this guy. Yeah. And then that's the lead into them interviewing him on an airplane in some remote place. And the guy's just like, what the fuck do you want? Hey, what the, and he's like, giving him that. It's so good. You got to check that one. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, the so. other one that oh, I'm drawing a blank to, but um, the, the one about the drama, oh, my, Ginger Baker. Something Ginger, Ginger Baker? Ginger Baker, is that it? Yeah, Ginger Baker, yeah. It's called um, something about like, Beware of Mr. Baker, the oh. documentary is called, and that one's a good one. I think it's called Beware of Mr. Baker, and it's about Ginger, yeah, it's freaking epic, that one, I like that one a lot. It's um. This young okay, kid, killer. yeah, young kid made it, and like he, he basically just like kind of fakes that he's from Rolling Stone or whatever, and gets gets to meet him, and like says he wants to do this interview, and then finds out that Ginger Baker's just a very very eccentric character, and I'm not, I'm just gonna leave it there. You just gotta watch it. Yeah, okay. be, be no, around. I will. I love drums. That's fucking all right. I'm in. Yeah, he's an ins insane character with a lot of a uh, lot of stories, and yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, beware of Mr. Baker. All right. Well, uh, which song should we take it out of here with? You got a jam you want to fucking play? Yeah, I mean, for no particular reason other than it makes me happy every time I listen to it. But uh, let's listen to Dr. Alimentado, Best Dressed Chicken in Town. Okay, let's do that. And uh, oh, one last thing forgot to mention. You and I work together. I think the only time we've ever really worked together, we've worked together, obviously, through our lives, but uh, in person, on the big island, Antonius Dincho's wedding. Yes, you and sir. I fucking yeah, yeah. combined forces that's to film, and then you edited it. That's our gig, is our, our wedding productions. If, if all the skateboarding goes down the hill, we got wedding videos to fall back on. You and me, bro. <laughs> That was, that that was, was one of the best weddings of all time. Like Big Island, Chris Sen hosting. It was great. Yeah, and no, a super memorable time. That trip was epic and just all the people and location. It was awesome. Really glad to be a yeah. part of that. Yeah. 
Well, cheers, man. And what do you work? Are, what's this thing you're working on now? You're doing. I just sent you some footage. Uh, uh, you guys doing something with Sheckler? Uh, that was a recent Etnies promo for like their competition pack. So that's why we were digging out old contest footage of those guys and kind of like oh. the edits were sort of trying to like show how like what you take from the streets you do to the contest. You know, like cutting old footage of them like doing their you know, tricks on the street and in the, in the street course. Um, so that was a little Etnies project. So I'm still doing stuff for those guys, but I've been freelancing a lot and uh, last couple of years or so, and that's been going great. Um, doing a lot of stuff for ESPN. Um, my buddy Jesse Fritch runs a production company called Anton I. So they have oh, a lot of gigs that I help out with. Uh, some of them are skate related, some of them are not. So that's fun. Mm. I like doing stuff outside of skating because you know I feel like I always learn so much from the people I work with. Mm-hmm. And uh, started doing some stuff with Colossal Media, the guys that do hand painted murals. These guys they're based around here, well New York and LA, but I'm wow. doc- documenting them putting up like huge building sized murals are all hand painted and stuff like that. So that's a fun little gig. Just and I'm just trying to do a lot of variety. Been doing a lot of food stuff recently. That's interesting. Yeah. Sh- shooting food, <laughs> you know? Yeah. yeah. Just taking whatever work comes my way and just trying to learn from it and uh, you know, yeah. using my time to sort of just grow from it. You know, I feel like I've done so much skating over the years that you know that I really enjoy it. I love it, but it's also like I, I'm just enjoying learning new experiences and hopefully maybe bring them to into skating too if I can. Rad. Well, fuck, dude. Thanks so much for taking so much time, and always a pleasure to fucking spend time with you. See you. Hopefully, we'll see each other in person sooner yeah, or later. Yeah, this lockdown can't last forever, and yeah, we'll we'll be out there again soon. High five in the streets, and uh, oh. yeah, thanks again for the opportunity to do this. It's been really fun catching up and chatting. Hopefully, you don't have to edit too much of this down. I know I talk forever, but um, um, no, we're letting this one roll, hundred percent. This oh, really? one. <laughs> A hundred percent no editing on this one. The only thing we're doing is adjusting the audio levels. Okay, well, I got three (laughs) three tracks for you to pick from. You got all sorts of levels. Hopefully one of them works. Fingers crossed. All right, we we got a boom versus a lavalier versus the uh, computer mic. (laughs) Dueling audio levels. Right on, brother. Fuck yeah. Thank you so much, man. Appreciate everything. Take care. Stay healthy. Yeah, you too. Talk soon. Bye. Woo!
Thank you for listening to another episode of Talking Schmidt. You can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Anchor, Spotify, or anywhere you get your podcasts. When you subscribe, you'll get notifications every Tuesday of new episodes the minute they become available. Also, please leave reviews and a five-star rating. It's the best way to help the show grow. All of the episodes will always remain free, but if you would like to help support the show, you can do so at TalkingSchmidt.com, where you can pick up some merchandise like t-shirts, beanies, hats, and stickers. The website has an entire archive of all of the episodes, with extra photos and videos. Email us with any suggestions, comments, or ways that the show may have improved your life at TalkingSchmidt at gmail.com. All interviews are conducted, edited, and produced by Schmidty. The intro music is Mary's Cross by the band Nature. A very special shout-out goes to the executive director, Cheryl Camisa. This is Talking Schmidt, where the Rolodex is deep, but the conversation is deeper.